Warning. The Outsider's Edge contains strong opinions, unconventional views, and contrarian stances. Listen, if you dare. Hey, yo! I'd like to thank you for uh, listening to another edition of The Outsider's Edge. It's your boy once again, Rance, a.k.a. Ray Cash. And uh, like I am, am every week, I'm with my boy Carl. What's going on, brother? Uh, every week? Yeah, sure. Uh, but no, yeah, well, I'm, I'm here. I tried to big you up, but you know you had to say something. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the people, so I'm honest. Uh, but I am here. Uh, but it's not about me. We got a special guest. We have the specialist of the most special guests. Uh, I was trying to think of a very uh, apropos intro for my dude, so I'm gonna put it to you like this: In the history of LordsOfPain.net, formerly WrestlingHeadlines.com, there have been four people you can synonym- you can actually put synonymously with the website. We have one of those four people with us today. We have the Doc, Chad Matthews. Uh, what's going on, my brother? Oh, man, not much. Just happy to be here on the show with you guys. I appreciate being able to come on and and chit-chat with you guys for a little while. It's a long time overdue, man. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Chad and I, well, Chad is one of my probably closest friends in this quote-unquote wrestling business, but me and Chad go back to 2010, Lords of Pain Columns Forums, where uh, me, him, Shane, Pringle, Chris Bear, a bunch of guys tore up the forums and we're kind of like that new generation of writers. So, you know, Chad and I go back way, way, way that far back. So uh, it's way overdue. Um, thank you for coming on first and foremost. But before we get to any any wrestling talk, we have to talk about the news of the day. Uh, I believe it went on sale yesterday? Indeed it did. Yes, it did. Chad has his second feature book. Uh, that you guys need to go out and get. It is called The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania Era. I have a copy. My boy gifted me one to kind of get a leg up on you guys. But when I tell you that... uh, And the other book was literally the book on WrestleMania. Uh, When I tell you, man, it's got all the information for us wrestling nerds. It is broken down, like, exquisitely. The one thing I think with that Chad does better than any writer on the internet is he ingratiates sports, uh, ideals with pro wrestling. And, uh, so this is ranked from a hundred to one. He has a ton of honorable mentions. Hey man, talk about the book. Go ahead. Plug your book. Well, man, it was, uh, it was a bit of a passion project really. Uh, when you and I first met in the forums back in the day, um, Writing about wrestling had already been an established passion, but really what fueled that passion was being analytical about the way that I viewed the product and particularly about the way that I viewed wrestling matches. That was for, you know, when you go from that childlike stage of your fandom where everything's just colorful and it hooks you in that sort of way that 
everything new really does. I mean, when I, when I graduated, if you will, to more of an adult kind of fandom, talking about wrestling matches, breaking them down, the whole star ratings concept, all that stuff really fascinated me. The idea that there were people that judged and, and looked at pro wrestling the way that people looked at movies and, and being able to qualify them as this is great and this is good and this is average. I thought that was fascinating. So I've basically spent the last 15 years developing my own sort of system for historically ranking and filing things like wrestling matches. The first book I wrote being about wrestlers and ranking the top 90 of all time, I thought that was a lot of fun. But this second book, I took a lot longer to write it. It took me about five years, whereas opposed to the other one took me about two total. So I've been working on it since August of 2013. And my, my goal was to, and I've talked to you about this before in, in private, but you know, I've never really been on board with the concept that wrestling is so subjective period, end of sentence. And that that's it, that there's, you know, as if there's no conversation to be had about it. Before we went on the air, we were talking about college football. And that's the way I look at these wrestling matches. I look at them as very similar to the way that college football teams are ranked. You know, college football rankings are subjective, but they're not totally subjective. It's not as if, you know, Alabama and Jacksonville State can be looked at on an equal playing field. They just can't. And to say sure. that it's so subjective that there's no way you can tell a difference between those two teams is ridiculous. So it's not totally subjective. It's just challenging. So you just have to sit down and you have to look at it from a more objective perspective. And sure, it's still going to be subjective to a degree, but you can find a way to reasonably objectify it. And that's what I've done with this book is I looked at the project of, all right, we've got all the greatest matches and rivalries. Everybody talks about What's what's really the greatest? How do we define greatness in pro wrestling? Breaking it down and then applying the formula across the board, comparing and contrasting like crazy and seeing which ones came out on top. So it was a passion project and it was a blast. It's one of the most fun things I've ever worked on. And, and if you love pro wrestling and you like to read long lists about pro wrestling greatness, I think that you'll find this one to be about as thorough as you will ever possibly read on the subject. Lord knows that's the truth. This thing is single-spaced, and it's like 400 and some odd pages. <laughs> 426, <laughs> yes. to be exact. I was just thinking about this, like, because I'll be picking up a copy or ordering a copy on Thursday probably. But um, the interesting thing, I think, with, with Chad especially, is when I first started com- when I first started visiting Lords of Pain, now granted, I had visited Lords of Pain almost from its inception when – the great Tito talks about how long he's been there. He's not, he's not lying Yeah. because I can, I can remember, I can remember reading his stuff back in the late nineties. Um, but when I, and I never joined the forums, I was a teenager, but as I got older and I did end up jumping on there in about 2011. And I think it was 20, late 2010, maybe something like that. Um, um, one of the, other than him, you know, one of the first people that stood out in their writing style was Chad because I've always appreciated and I actually, when I joined and started writing, my goal was to kind of not a photo, like a carbon copy style, but if you ever like the way I read and structure, the way I write and structure things, I try to be a, like more like straight laced about stuff. Yeah. Like you're not going to see a ton of, there have been times, don't get me wrong, but you're not going to see a ton of foul language or anything in my writing very often, you know, 
Uh, and I, I kind of emulated a lot of, of Chad in that because I thought that the way he did things was very, very readable. Like it's not so, you know, there are some writers that are so, their verbiage is so amazing and their vocabulary is so great that it can almost be a slog to read. Right. And then there are people who don't give a rip about grammar or anything like that. And so Chad has such a good balance of being able to talk about wrestling in a presentable way that you can read and enjoy, but it's also not elementary. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think, I think that's what people that are looking for a good wrestling book will find that because it's going to be very forward and it's, but it's going to be entertaining to read. It's not going to be a slog, you know, it'll give you a chance to kind of go back and hopefully pop on WrestleMania and watch some of these matches and make some good opinions for yourself and things like that. So definitely highly would recommend to anyone that's a fan of wrestling. Um, so pick it up, please. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the kind words. Oh, yeah, no you. problem. On, man. You know, we think the world of you, man, but I do want to start there. Uh, you mentioned um, about the subjectivity of wrestling and that's something you and I privately go back and forth on all the time. Um, it's interesting you brought up the whole college football analogy because I know that's kind of your big thing about com- using sports adages for wrestling. Well, college football, if you look at the rankings, technically they're subjective because like a group of people picks them. You know, so like the fun of a lot of the fun of college football is when the rankings come out on uh, God Tuesday, is it they come out on? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, Monday. Yeah. Yeah, when they come out on Tuesday, the fun, a big part of the fun is everybody sitting together saying, "Well, no, well, Arkansas should have been ranked in the top twenty-five. LSU was, they, they, they had a better win. LSU had a better win than Florida, so they should be high. Like, there is, there is a air, a subjectivity. But I do want to start there with you, Chad. Um, me and you, like I said, me and you go go back and forth all the time. Why do you think wrestling isn't as subjective? as most of us view it as well i think it's pretty much it's i think it's it's clearly there's a there's a there's an element of subjectivity to it but the term that i use in both my books is something i've i've can't i kind of came up with um it's called objective subjectivism that's <laughs> that, that's the euphemism and it's you can't okay, make it, up words I'm saying, it's designed man. to to draw a line and to create a, to basically acknowledge, okay, yes, this is subjective, but there is a way to apply objectivity to it simply by defining, just to, just like they do in college football. The the thing I like about the the college football committee, the committee in this day and age, is that it's transparent in that it defines what they're using to make rankings. Yes, it's it's based on the strength of schedule. It's it's based on which is developed by a computer program. It's it's developed by the talent, which is you know something that again you use the Alabama versus we'll say um, using not Jacksonville State because that's too obvious to me. That comparison is like comparing like comparing Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker to you know Marty Jannetty versus Doink the Clown. Um, <laughs> you know Alabama versus say. I think Alabama versus a modern Florida team would actually be pretty applicable. Okay. You know, in the sense that you can see that there is a difference between the records. There's a difference between the way that they are um, you know, deploying their team throughout the course of a season against 
the play against the opponents they've got. So, I mean, you've got some things that you can utilize in college football to establish this is what makes this team different than this team. And if you do that in wrestling, I, I think part of the problem with wrestling is that no one ever has taken the time to make that distinction. And, and that's always it been fascinating true. to me is it's like Dave Meltzer has these star ratings. I don't remember at any point that Dave Meltzer's actually said what defines those star ratings. Like, what is a five-star match? What's a four-star match? What makes sure. a five-star match and a four-star match? So I've always sort of felt like there was that missing element of, okay, so somewhere along the line, somebody just said this was way too subjective to try to have a legitimate greatest of conversation about, to which I said, no, 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 that's not true. You can objectify anything so long as you create a reasonably logical criteria for it. So I look at it in this way, man. I think it's just a simple matter of, yes, wrestling is subjective. You know, it's like Hollywood in that sense. But as long as we actually put together a list of criterion, then we can actually then objectify it and actually make some sense of why something like Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker should be considered greater than a Bret Hart versus uh, Mr. Perfect or Bret Hart versus um, Roddy, Roddy Piper, Piper WrestleMania which, 8, yeah, something which, like that. Which you is can do that. The, you can do that reasonably, objectifiably. It's just a matter of establishing what the criteria should be. Give, give you guys a spoiler, Bret and Roddy is number 100. So just a little spoiler. Um, so you mentioned criteria. Uh, what was the criteria you, came, you used to come up with your list? Several things. Uh, quite a few. First and foremost, I think you've got to take into account when you're looking at wrestling matches, just the pure elements that um, that, that define quality. Something like um, psychology, for instance. Performing okay. actions for a specific purpose, selling, body language, facial expressions, the execution of the moves, the quality of the actions, the moves performed. That's one element. That's a series of elements that I refer to as the pure storytelling elements of a wrestling match. The crowd response. Part of the point of a wrestling match is to generate a reaction. So how much of a reaction did it generate? There's obviously a difference between a reaction that Rock Hogan gets versus the reaction that, say, Undertaker versus Kurt Angle got in Baltimore in February of 2006. As great as that match was, the crowd is just as quiet as a mouse for the vast majority of it. Yeah. So you can separate them by looking at that element. There are a lot of intangibles that go into wrestling matches. Sometimes it's someone like Bobby Heenan on the outside with his crazy antics. Sherry Martell in the match between Warrior and Savage at WrestleMania 7 is one of the classic all-time examples of how much an outside influential person can be on a match. She was a big part of the success of that performance. Sometimes it's a a gimmick like a ladder match adds an intangible quality. Sometimes it's a special entrance at a show like WrestleMania that ups the ante from the standpoint of the aura. You've got elements like how historic it is. You compare two matches together like uh, Chris Jericho versus The Rock, and then you look at something like Triple H versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania. How those two things compare to each other historically, one seems to have a much greater historical sort of up the annual to that next greatest degree. Another primary aspect of a wrestling match is how much money did it draw? That's, that's part of the point, especially of main event matches, is to draw money. 
Absolutely. So especially back in the day, you can compare things like the crowd size, the buy rate or the TV rating that a match might have drawn in a specific instance. That's obviously become harder with the debut of the WWE Network recently, but event prestige, there's still a dichotomy to be said for the Royal Rumble as positioned by WWE is clearly superior to something like Battleground or something to that degree. Right. How good was the build-up to a match? How much time did the match get to tell its story? What was the what was the degree of false finishes, near falls, and the drama that those two things bring to the table? How well executed was the climax of a match? That makes it easier to compare something like HBK versus Mankind at Mind Games to a match like Daniel Bryan versus John Cena at SummerSlam. Those two climaxes don't even compare. So there are certain things that you can look at like that. You combine all of those, and it makes it so that we do have a criteria to follow to separate one match from another or one rivalry from another. Okay. Um, if, if I may, uh, I want to ask you a couple questions about the book. Sure. So I've told you, you know, I've been so busy with things. I've gotten to, I think I got to number 63. Uh, I don't want to tell. I don't want to tell you more about the than I have to. But number sixty-three, if you know me, is my favorite match, which is kind of why I stopped there. But I, I went through and I wrote down every uh, every number of so every match or every rivalry or every situation to kind of just get a good scope of them in one just one fell swoop. And I noticed two things that caught my eye. Number one is Hulk Hogan. And Randy Savage is at 72. That Correct. is shocking to me. Seeing as that is one of the founding fuse that the modern WWE was built on. And I know it's more, it's it's like you, I'm, with the criteria you said, um, the match was good, the feud was great, I think, but I, it, I'm flabbergasted that it's that low. Do you mind, do you have anything to say to that? Do you want sure. people? To, yeah, pl- go ahead, please. No problem explaining why. The bottom line with Hogan versus Savage is that it's a tremendous story. It's got a tremendous buildup. It's incredibly historic. So if you look at, let's say that I, th- I think I counted that there that I, I roughly named off maybe ten different criteria, yeah, maybe ten to twelve. That is a great example of a match or a rivalry that checks off incredibly well two or three boxes. But all the other things we talked about in terms of the in-ring performance and primarily what this book does is we're talking about great matches and rivalries and the match is what carries the day. So a great match that existed within a great rivalry or a story is really what's going to be ranked against its peers. And if you match and if you match up something like Hogan and Savage, the mega powers explode. One of the most iconic stories in WWE history. But you put it head-to-head against another match that's great, then where it falls short is in a lot of the purer elements. Is it a good match? Yes. Does it tell a a deeply emotional, engrossing story from bell to bell? Not really. I mean, it's it's good. It's it, It does its job. And it should be commended for doing its job in an era where it was more important to tell a good story from start of the feud to the end of the feud than necessarily get those high critical marks like you might have seen in the NWA at the same time from a Ric Flair match. But it doesn't really compare bell to bell 
to a great Ric Flair match. And that's okay, and that should be acknowledged. Ric Flair's matches should be given credit where it was due. The problem with Ric Flair's matches, conversely, was that they didn't draw anywhere close to what Hogan and Savage did. Their stories and oftentimes weren't quite as uh, bombastic, you might say, as Hogan versus Savage was. So I think Hogan versus Savage is a great example of a great, great story that really just did not culminate in a great, great match. And this was a book that basically said, if you want to rank in the top 50 or higher, you have to do both. Yeah. Let me me ask you a question, Chad, while we're talking about it. Does this, the way you've ranked the matches, is each piece of criteria weighed the same or are you weighing certain pieces have more heavily than others? I thought the fairest thing to do in this case was to put them all on an even playing field. Okay. So with that being said, uh, it, I've, your explanation makes sense, but then you have Warrior and Savage ranked in the top 10. I do. So I do. Now, I'm not I, – I think the story was great. I wasn't the biggest fan of the match particularly, but – all the things as you wrote in the book all the things surrounding the match in fact if i may you said in the book that that match in particular is the most sports entertainment match of sports entertainment that wwe could possibly put on something to that order absolutely i i think it is the it's one of those matches that if you are watching it from the standpoint of a pro wrestling fan who wants to see aesthetic brilliance like you have most recently seen from some of the matches from New Japan, then obviously it is not going to hold up very well. But if you are looking for the most WWE match of all WWE matches, you are not going to find one that fits what they deem sports entertainment more than the Ultimate Warrior versus the Macho King at WrestleMania 7. The historic stakes with the career being on the line the added intangible elements of not only Sherry Martell during the course of the match, but the post-match reunification of the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. The bell-to-bell time is actually fantastic. I encourage you to read that chapter and then immediately go back and watch that match. It is a match that from bell to bell during its 20 minutes basically writes the book on how WWE's main event style has evolved. If you go back and you watch everything that happened in a main event setting before that and everything that happened in a main event setting after that, there is a clear line of distinction. That match basically, just as much as Macho Man versus Ricky Steamboat wrote the in-ring language, if you will, of WWE's quote-unquote style, the main event style as we know it was birthed by the Warrior versus Savage. So... If you look at all the criteria, are the pure storytelling elements there? Yeah. Shockingly, yes. Yeah, Shockingly. <laughs> For an Ultimate Warrior match, it's unreal. He walks to the ring. Savage yeah. gets carried to the ring. There's these special entrances that back in that day were unusual. There's high stakes. There's brilliant commentary, which adds an intangible element to it. There's so much about that match that holds up well here 27 years later. So I think, uh, I think in this case, 
you put them head to head and maybe the story's not as iconic as Hogan versus Savage, but everything else you have to give it to Hogan versus or to not Hogan versus Warrior, but to Warrior versus right. Savage. Right, right. Quality of the match, intangible elements, historic stakes, still did good at the box office, great climax, brilliant post match happenings, just an incredible piece of performance art, if you will. I mean, I get you, but reading the book and going through and looking at the different chapters and seeing that in the top 10 just truly shocked the hell out of me. I mean, understood. Now, of course, when you explain it, it makes sense, but you know, I didn't have the explanation. I read the chapter and I got it, but still like that's not a match that I think most people will put in their top 10 favorite matches at WrestleMania. If you are a, let me say a attitude era esque and on fan. If you are a fan of the eight, late 80s, early 90s, and sure, I'm, that's, I'm sure that match resonates with you because that was, like you said, probably one of the Pentillman matches of the time. Um, one more, one, Another thing I wanted to ask you about in the book was uh, you put the WWE Women's Revolution slash Evolution and you lumped it all together. Uh, I guess, why, would, why, why did you decide to do it that way? Because I... Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, Sasha and Bailey could be last on its own or Sasha and Charlotte could surely make the top 100 on its own. So what caused you to put that entire movement and moment together? Well, I looked at it this way when I was evaluating some of the more modern things. Um, I was looking at it from the standpoint of the women's evolution, revolution, the, the women's revolution is what I termed it in the book. And I pretty much clearly defined it as the the revolution ended and the evolution began when the Sasha Banks and Charlotte feud ended at the end of December 2016. So there are certain stories in this book that are identified in that manner. They're, they're labeled as stories. Austin versus McMahon, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's a story. Not really a rivalry. They didn't have all these didn't have a series of matches with each other that was a story that was a television story and to me when I reflected back on it and I did leave the opening to one day revisit that and separate out Mm -hmm. rivalries from the women's revolution like Sasha and Bailey and like Sasha and Charlotte but when I watched it basically what we saw during that period of time was the 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 elevation of women's wrestling to a place that most of us never really thought it could go. Absolutely, man. If you rewind the clock four years ago, even in the middle of 2014, when the revolution had already begun, if you had told me that it was a legitimate possibility for a women's match to main event, a pay-per-view, then as you know, in many of the discussions you and I have had, everything that I base my opinions on, in pro wrestling is, is largely based on historical precedent. Yep. And there having been no precedent for that whatsoever, that seemed like a million miles away. That seemed like a decade or more into the future. That didn't seem possible to me. But when you looked at from where it began, which I defined it as Emma and Paige's match at NXT, the original NXT special on the network, followed by some of the matches that Banks and Charlotte had before they made it to the main roster, followed by the incredible run that the four horsewomen had, followed by eventually the Banks and Charlotte rivalry that led into 
WrestleMania 32, which the three of us attended. Yes. Which, those, those three stole the show that night, in my opinion. And then it culminated with that great rivalry that they had in the back half of 2016. None of it seemed like I could separate it. It all seemed like one big giant story. And at this point, with the label WWE has put on it and the extent to which they've gone to keep that label on it, felt like at least for now, it made sense and it boosted the profile of that story to keep it all together. Because it does. It tells one absolutely fantastic story. One of the most pleasant surprises in modern pro wrestling history, if not all of pro wrestling history. And something that deserved to be spotlighted in that kind of a way. Absolutely agree. Uh, It's funny that you mentioned that you thought it was maybe 10 years in, in, in the future. Carl was one of the biggest detractors of women's wrestling. And I'm not saying this, you know, to make fun of you or say anything negative about you. It's just nobody had ever taken it seriously. So bathroom break, go get a beer. Now, 2018, Carl is one of the biggest women's wrestling fans I know. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And I think Chad really explains it perfectly. I mean, you talk about, when you go back and look at what was once dubbed the Divas Division and the time they got, which was usually very little. 30 seconds. Uh, and this is, I mean, this is, I'm talking post Trish Lita. We're talking like the Kelly Kelly days. You know what I mean? Eve Torres. And yeah. And, and not that those women don't hold a place and I, because I think they do in, in a way that, you know, it's almost like a precursor to, to what was, we know it could have been better. You know, that, that gave us like a reason to understand a reason to, to be like, what are we doing here? You know, we're treating talented women like they're basically just supermodels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for a long time, I was the kind of person, you know, that was just like, it's nothing against the women as much as it's just against the way it's presented. And when you present it to me in a manner where I'm just like, they're not making me care that it's not, it's almost like they don't want me to care. Like they're trying to present this specific kind of, of television to a certain, maybe younger audience, if you will, as opposed to now when you start looking around and you can argue the way WWE has treated the women's division, you know, in terms of like consistent basis with like a lot of six man, six woman tags and things like that. Multi, multi woman matches. Yeah. Right. But, but overall, you know, certain, uh, not a select few, but a lot of the women have been treated, you know, Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Becky come to mind instantly. Uh, Alexa, Carmella. Alexa, Carmella, I think Oscar. I mean, a lot of these, they've been treated as bonafide superstars that have something to offer. They have characters, they have stories, they, they can wrestle their, their asses off. And there's a lot about it now that in a lot of ways for me outside of, and sometimes I'm, I would say it even goes further than this, but outside of the main event, of WWE programming, a lot of times the women is the thing I look forward to the most now because the mid card of WWE doesn't do much for me these days. So it's a, it's a very, very well done. And I think Chad gives a really good explanation on to how you can kind of lump it as, as one story. And I think over time, as it becomes more commonplace, we're going to start seeing some of those single matches oh, sure. implemented across, you know what I mean? Cause I think we're already looking at a potential, maybe even a WrestleMania main event in the future with, you know, a Charlotte or a Ronda Rousey or something like that down the road. Definitely. And I'd argue 
if you're using if you're if you're extending it not just to singular matches but to rivalries as well. Sasha and Bailey in NXT, Sasha and Charlotte in the main roster, Oscar and Ember Moon in NXT. Like you have mm. a bunch of matches slash feuds that while going through the pantheons of the WrestleMania era may not necessarily make the top hundred right now, but surely can be in the conversation. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, a lot of this, obviously people are going to go over and with a fine tooth comb and revise and revise and revise as you do over time. You know, when you have more time to, to think and more time, more perspective as you go along. So, Absolutely. I mean, I think there's no doubt about it. And as Chad alluded to at WrestleMania 32, the women stole the show. I think I think we all kind of agreed on that. Yeah, it was best match. In fact, that I, match. Think, I think Chad said in one of his podcasts, if you stop the match at WrestleMania at the women's title match, it's a perfect show. <laughs> right. Great yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The great first two and a half hours. <laughs> um, before we before we get off the book, uh, I do want to ask one more question. Sure. Um, in in your honorable mentions, you speak a lot about uh, a lot of NXT um, feuds. Uh, well, not a lot, but specifically the Gargano Champa feud, which isn't anywhere close to being done. But I want to ask you: Do you think it's number one? Do you think because you always have separated NXT and when you do rankings or things like this because it's a, de- a still quote unquote a developmental program? But do you think it's time? to start putting NXT stuff on the same platform as the main roster? And number two, do you think it's too soon to put anything that's happened in the past year or two in the pantheon of all these other great rivalries or uh, matches? I think NXT is an interesting discussion point for the book. I mean, at, at the time that the book was starting to finish the ranking process and it came time to, all right, now it's time to write it, NXT was really only about two years into what we know it as now. Okay. Um, you know, right around the time when TakeOver when Takeover Toronto happened, which was November of 2016. I mean, at that point, yeah. I was well into writing the top 75, I think. So the decision had to be made at that point. If I had started writing the book now, Rather than having finished it earlier this year, I don't know that I would have left out NXT. But I think by the time we reach the end of this decade, then we will have a much better idea of how to classify that. Because right now, there are a lot of things that I think in NXT history that you could put up against the best of the best from modern pro wrestling history. And it would be difficult to dispute that the NXT feuds were better better scripted, better written, better executed, more coherently executed, better that the matches and the ring were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And that I, I used Gargano and Ciampa as the lone example to bring that discussion to the forefront. The only NXT feuds that were considered for the top 100 proper were the ones that were included within the women's revolution. But Gargano and Ciampa was utilized as this is what this is what we're utilizing as this is perhaps the best representative of NXT to this point in terms of what it produced in the ring and what it meant in terms of a rivalry that took place and 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 just how should we appraise it. I think it's difficult at this point to match it up from the standpoint of what is historic and, and, and how much 
of a role does NXT play and WWE Network's health? These are questions I don't know that we can answer yet. And because of that, I think we're still a couple years away. But when we do, then we're essentially opening up the floodgates. <laughs> yeah. Because you look at the revival versus DIY is going to jump in there. Sami Zayn's uh, whole run with Neville to Owens coming back to fight uh, Nakamura. That's one of the best stories I think's ever been told. That entire absolutely. year run. Yeah. And that's where you start. I mean, a lot of, I think, the, the women's feuds, one of my favorites. I was there for TakeOver Brooklyn 3 last year. And Asuka right. versus versus Ember Moon, like 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 Carl was mentioning. I mean, that is, Oscar versus Ember Moon was one of the best matches of 2017. I mean, that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, that was the best match on that card, in my opinion. And I think so. And then I there, and so. that I I thought it stood up at the end of the year as one of the top ten matches of the year. That I'll... kind of thing's going to happen more regularly. Sure. You're going to have to then throw in, I mean, to me, I think Johnny Gargano's match earlier this year with with Cien Almas in particular, from a mm. from someone who just who appreciates intricacy in wrestling oh, right yeah. now. Perfect. That was unfreaking believable. And and just the whole aspect of how we judge NXT against WWE, that's the dichotomy that has to be established. And yes. at this point, I've not yet established it. Okay. Um, well, Carl, do you have anything else you want to ask me about the book? Because I want to start asking some other questions. No, we can. We can. Uh, I'm. I'm. I want to read the book. So uh, that's that's. Uh, I don't. I don't need to know anything else. I've got a good little appetizer there, and once I get a copy of it, I'll crack it open. It'll give me a chance to kind of go back and watch some of these matches that you know I may or may not have even seen. I, I, there's no way I've watched every WrestleMania all the way through. Well, so I, you know forget the wrestlemania stuff he's got a ton of nwa right stuff in here that i've never seen there's gonna be a ton of things in there that i've just probably i've never seen in my life and because he's got a chat is a vat of knowledge when it comes to wrestling and wrestling history and so i know that that because he did the research i know that there's gonna be some stuff in there that i'm gonna have no freaking idea what it is or if i know what it is have not seen it yet and this will give me kind of a, a reason to kind of go through. I'm looking forward to digging through the book. So I appreciate you talking about it as much as you can. I know you want to sell it, so you don't want to give everything away. Right, right, right. Well, I appreciate you guys giving me the platform to discuss it. You know, oh, man, like I yeah. said, it's a, it's a passion project. It was, uh, well, it was the most fun, really the most fun project at wrestling related that I've worked on in the, in the 15 years I've been writing about it. So uh, I thank you guys very much for letting me come on here and, and talk about it. Anytime, my brother. You, you're welcome. Yeah. If we can get you just one more buyer, we'll, we'll feel happy about ourselves probably. You know what I mean? Fact, Absolutely. That would be great. Thank you so, to anyone who uh, to listens to this and decides to buy it. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, so now it's time to get to some uh, interesting stuff. I, I, I mentioned to Chad before we started. My book's I, not interesting. No, it's interesting. <laughs> it's extremely interesting. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. But, you know, it, it felt really professional and stuff. And now we, <laughs> not not boys about to talk. You know, we we, we now we can we, yell at each other. Yeah, the ties are off, and now we can actually crack open a beer and talk talk. Um, so one of the things that you have been known for, uh, because um, I I've mentioned I've said this, and I'm not, I feel like I'm sucking up now, but I've said this to you 
personally and in public. I think you're the best wrestling writer writer on the internet. I truly do because yeah, you're con- you. you're consistent. Yeah, of course, man. Your consistency, your ability to make, as Carl said, the mundane sound interesting, and your ability to take vast, expansive topics and make them very, very uh make them available to people in a way that most people wouldn't want to read but they because it's you they they want to read it because of how you formatted it i think you're the best wrestling writer on the internet and you have been known to be uh one of the most positive guys on the internet and that ain't true no more (laughs) so um i just you know i i know what happened but hey man what happened tell the people well, knowing you were going to ask that question, I've been thinking about it, mulling it over and trying to figure out a way that I could answer it concisely without going on a 15-minute diatribe. <laughs> well, this and is the edge, brother, so, you know, do your thing. I think, I think the best way I can describe it is that, uh, you know, there, no, no wrestling product is ever going to be perfect. It wasn't perfect in the Attitude Era. It wasn't perfect in the new generation. It wasn't perfect during the reality era or the or what preceded it during John Cena's really, you know, the, the rise that he had to the forefront alongside guys like Edge and Orton and Batista. Ruthless aggression or PG, Ruthless aggression, you call it. Yeah. brand extension era, however you want to label it. But I think one of the things I always appreciated about every one of those eras was that big picture. They got the big things right. And we always talk about how little things matter. And they do. But, you know, during the during the Attitude Era, they got a lot of big things right. And then, in my opinion, they got some little things wrong. So, I mean, it was easy to forgive Choppy Chop, your pee-pee, and giving birth <laughs> to a hand because it was the most competitive era of all time. So you had guys who were given the given free reign like the rock triple h big foley undertaker steve austin etc to go out there and prove why they should be in a main event position they were given the opportunity to do that they were given the opportunity to develop their personalities to take evolutionary next steps with their characters and really make it something special I thought John Cena was afforded the same opportunity. I thought he was afforded the opportunity to grow right in front of our eyes, to go from a guy that a lot of us thought was going to be the next Stone Cold Steve Austin or John or, or The Rock and evolve into, interestingly enough, the, the next Hulk Hogan instead. I thought that was an interesting dichotomy to watch. I thought that they handled him with care. And I thought that they handled guys like Orton with care. And while there were a lot of, there, there was always that chatter about how John Cena was was put over everybody else to the to the detriment of the product. I always felt that the first part of that statement was correct, that, yes, he was put over everyone else. But I never necessarily felt until the very, very tail end of his run of dominance right ahead of guys like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan rising to the forefront. Never really thought it was to the detriment of the product, to be perfectly honest. And you look at that era, there were a lot of little things they didn't get right. At that time, the Intercontinental Championship, the United States Championship, they were hit or miss in their value. Same thing with the Tag Team Championships. 
2007 onward, the women's division was a total train wreck, as Carl referenced earlier. But they, they got big things right. WrestleMania, a show that we put on a pedestal, was grown to its next level during that era. The reality era wasn't perfect, but it got a lot of big things right. You know, it it took into account that there was a lot of fan disgruntlement. And what was born of that fan disgruntlement? CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, NXT, The Shield. I think we're in an era right now where a lot of the problem I have with it is that they get a lot of big things wrong. Like there what? are certain aspects, like WrestleMania, for instance. Okay. Ten years ago, guys like John Cena were being put in the ring with titans of a previous era, but those titans were still in their prime. Wrestling prime basically lasts till you're about early 40s, and it can t- and it can trail off into the mid 40s, etc. To a you know to a point where you got a guy like Shawn Michaels who, at 45 years old, can have the match of the year in the main event of WrestleMania. When you bring back these dinosaurs every year for WrestleMania, it doesn't have that same aura to me. It, it, it just it doesn't connect in the same way because you've got guys like Undertaker that are well north of 50, who look like they're well north of 60, who wrestle in a lot of ways like they are Ric Flair toward the tail, tail, tail end of his career. And it just doesn't work. And that's a WrestleMania theme that's been in place for a number of years now. You have a main event scene that I think is polarizing for the wrong reasons. I think okay. you also, in having that main event scene that's polarizing for the wrong reasons, guys like Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, who 10 years ago would have had a nice steady progression up the ladder, would have been given, given steady opportunities to continue to grow and perform in ways that felt that felt like progression. You know, that felt like they were getting a great opportunity to expand their legacies. That always felt like they had the opportunities to main event a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam. That doesn't feel like it's the case anymore. There were a lot of big picture decisions that were made starting in mid-2016, continuing on to present day, that as a fan, I don't feel like I ask too much. I just feel like I ask a a certain I ask us I ask for a certain level of big picture coherency and logic and I feel like it's lacking so I don't know if that if that makes any sense without going into great great detail um that's just one of those that's just that's 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 a way to describe it it just it's not to me where we are now in the Wrestlemania era having studied the Wrestlemania era to the extent that I have over the last almost decade now writing these two books. I don't look at what we have seen these last two years as being all that recognizable compared to the rest of the WrestleMania era. And quite frankly, I don't like what I'm seeing. Um, before I retort, Carl, you got anything you want to jump in with? No, I do. Um, I do think, I think Chad brings up some really, really valuable and great points here because um, I'm not saying I'm 100% on board with you, Chad, because we're not, but I, I will definitely say that, you know, one thing for me as a wrestling fan, I'm a little bit different than you guys, and I think people who have listened to us and have talked to me, had in-depth conversations with me, will, will know about me, is that I can get bored with wrestling very easily. 
So oh, I yeah. don't. Oh, yeah, yes. I, yeah. I don't devour it in the same way that a lot of people do. At least not my colleagues, like you, Chad, or you, Rance, or some others. But so for me, it's kind of interesting, and this is kind of where me and me and you might split a little bit. Chad is for me, it's about the spectacle of it all, and I think that will always kind of be the case for me. I like, for instance, uh, you mentioned valuing the value of like the United States championship, the intercontinental championship. And to be perfectly honest with you, as most people know, I don't really care about championships that much. So uh, for me, like if you can, the stakes matter for the championships in, in, in regards, you know, at to certain extents, I will, I'll say that much, but I'm not worried about who holds them necessarily. Um, you know, a guy like, John Cena, he never, if he never touches the championship again, I could care less. Would it be cool to see him win a 17th title and break Ric Flair's record? Yeah, maybe, but you're just going to hear a bunch of people get upset about it. So there are some things there that I think we part on. What I, what I would say is for me, it's if I get bored with a product and I see something, and this happened recently because I took a little bit of a break here, about a month where I was like, okay, I just can't right now. There are some things that I think I see where Chad's coming from. So, for instance, I feel like a lot of the the stories they try to tell, if they if the company, for instance, sees something that doesn't seem to be working, it's more of a cut it off at the knees, try another way, which for me makes it jumbled a little bit. So you can argue that Sasha and Bailey, this is in Sasha, the whole Sasha and Bailey thing is what really had me just stop for a second because I thought they were really going somewhere and they've been going somewhere, but the whole therapy thing, it felt like I said before, it felt very, I don't know what the right word is. It just felt disingenuous for their feud for who they are and what they're about. And like they brought back Dr. Shelby and it felt like they were trying to treat it a little bit like a joke. And I did not just didn't like that. And so, and that's, once again, that's an opinion, but I do think that, you know, to me, it seems like in a lot of ways, they kind of, I feel like they did that for a reason, but I think the, the, when they realized it wasn't really going anywhere, it kind of cut it off at the knees. Cause they didn't really see it through. In my opinion, it was uh, okay. Well, they're going to therapy. And then one week it's like, Oh, well, therapy didn't work out. Eh, you know, at least with, Daniel Bryan and Kane, when they did their therapy thing, they saw it through a little bit more. And I think that is one problem they have is they tend to kind of jump. So, okay, as soon as they see that something isn't being accepted or whatever, with the exception of maybe Roman Reigns, they really just, like, they cut it off in a way that's almost, can be insulting at times. And so for me, what I have to do is step back and say, okay, I'm just going to take a break from this for a while and I'll go and then I'll come back because I can still keep up, you know, with what's going on without having to slog through three hours of a Monday night raw or what have you. So for me, you know, I, I think Chad makes a lot of great points about the current product. While I won't agree a hundred percent because I still enjoy what I see 75% of the time. Um, I, I can definitely see the frustration and, you know, I, it has to be frustrating because like you said before, Rance, you know, Chad's an extremely positive, always been a positive light. And as opposed to a lot of the people you see talking about wrestling these days. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of 
clarify where I stand a little bit in comparison to Chad and like you, Rance. I know you're a little bit different than, than we are. Yeah. On that, so. Well, it's it's personally a bit disappointing, and I mean it's not his fault. I mean the man wants to like what he likes and doesn't like what he doesn't like. I don't begrudge him for any of that, but it's personally disappointing because you and I were in such a small hole, if you will, in the internet. I mean, at one point on Lords of Fame, it was just me and you that were positive. You know? And, I mean, Carl, actually Carl, too, because you know, Carl stopped writing as often as we did, but, yeah. it's so It was personally disappointing to see you so truly disappointed by something that I know brings you so much joy. But, um, I, I, I actually agree with a lot of what you said. Um, but I found there were two things that stood out to me and I wrote them down. One of them was, one of them was that you said that, uh, in again, you know, kind of the theme of how you look at wrestling is historical precedent. Uh, well, the historical precedent, uh, of this era doesn't hold up with how the secondary stars are built up. You're Rollins is and, and Ambrose's and Styles and Owens is is what you cited those four guys in particular, um and and, and also in particular and I'm I'm not holding you to these words obviously it's a conversation but uh you were saying like you know that if this would have been ten years ago they would have built up been built up slowly and fervently and then you know they would have been manning eventing other shows like SummerSlams things of that nature but they have they have been built up slowly. They have been built up strategically, and they've all main evented numerous pay-per-views. In fact, of the past two years, some of those guys have main evented more pay-per- more pay-per-views than Roman Reigns has. I did a column, which I very rarely do now. I'm in the process of starting back again, but where I literally did, I kind of pulled a card from from your deck, Chad. I had no, absolutely no opinion in, in the column. It was simply a study of are Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins pushed equally or tremendously different. And just just the criteria, uh, I looked at title reigns in totality on the main roster. Uh, I looked at uh, pay-per-view main events. I looked at uh, main event segments or, 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 or uh, matches on Raw. I, I, I looked at a whole bunch of specific criteria. And if you take away, and I know this is a big takeaway, but if you if you take away the four WrestleMania main events that Roman Reigns had, by just the numbers, Seth Rollins has been pushed harder. So I remember that column. I remember that piece. Yeah. So um, I get what you're saying. Let me let me, th- let me put it this way. Um, I got a couple of comments to make, really. Okay. And I'm going to do my best not to be too scattered. Um, All right, so let's rewind the clock. Are we all in agreement that the three biggest pay-per-views of the year, and therefore the pay-per-views that to this day, because of their maintained prestige through the early phases of the WWE Network era, are the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, and SummerSlam? Yes. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. So, all right, let's rewind the clock 12 years. 12 years ago, Edge and John Cena main evented, rest, uh, main evented SummerSlam. Rey Mysterio won the Royal Rumble. 
Kurt Angle main evented main evented the Royal Rumble itself. John right. Cena main evented WrestleMania the following year. The primary match at the Royal Rumble outside of the Rumble itself was John Cena Umaga. Right. The main event of SummerSlam that year involved Randy Orton. The following year, John Cena wins the Rumble. Jeff Hardy is in a main event against Randy Orton that was incredibly well built. The main event involves at SummerSlam involves Edge. The main event at WrestleMania involves Edge. The following year, Randy Orton's in the main event of WrestleMania. Edge is in one of the main events of SummerSlam. Randy Orton wins the Royal Rumble. The main event of SummerSlam that year is CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy. You see the variety there? Absolutely. There, there is a tremendous amount of variety. You are absolutely correct. And a lot of those guys, it wasn't just that they were steadily pushed. It was the consistency of a push that would allow you to mix and match the likes of Batista, John Cena, Randy Orton, Edge, sometimes Rey Mysterio, sometimes Jeff Hardy, sometimes CM Punk by the end of that decade. There were a lot of guys that were elevated and were given the opportunity to flourish at a headlining level. Nowadays, basically what I'm asked to do as a fan is accept that for the majority of the year, someone like AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, those guys will get the chance to main event more typical pay-per-views. But if we just use the last four or five years as a sample size, we have Batista winning the Royal Rumble. We have, um, you know, we obviously got Daniel Bryan main eventing WrestleMania. SummerSlam is Lesnar and Cena. The following year, Roman Reigns' push begins. Main event of SummerSlam that year is Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. It's amazing. Following year at the Royal Rumble, 2016, who wins the Rumble? Triple H wins the Rumble. Triple H main events WrestleMania. The main event of SummerSlam is Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. 2017, Randy Orton wins the Royal Rumble. John Cena wins the title. The main event of WrestleMania is featuring Undertaker. The main event of SummerSlam is Brock Lesnar and, and a handful of other guys. But my point is, is that I don't think that what we saw a decade ago is happening right now because Rollins, Ambrose, Owens, these types of guys who a decade ago would have been mixed and matched and eventually would have risen to the point where they get to main event these shows by themselves, they're not being given the opportunity to express that level of headlining stature. So we haven't really evolved that much. We keep, we're stuck in a certain gear. We keep revisiting that which used to work. So it creates a bit of a stalling point for the current generation. And, and, and it's like the ceiling's been lowered. The ceiling for what they can achieve today is about maybe 20% less than the ceiling of what those guys could have done previously. And I would throw Roman Reigns into that category because Roman Reigns has been involved in four straight WrestleMania main events, yes, but three of them have been categorically some of the worst WrestleMania main events of all time. And it's not because it's his fault. It's because he's in there with Triple H who insists on wrestling a 27-minute match that's a Triple H match instead of a Roman Reigns match. 
Undertaker's decrepit, broken down body had no business being in the ring for 22 minutes at WrestleMania 33. And, and this year with Brock Lesnar, I mean, everybody and their brother knew that was not going to work. I think we can all admit that it wasn't going to work in the way that it was presented. And the fact that we knew about it for a year and let that apathy stew didn't help matters. But Roman Reigns has been, unfortunately, one of the most one of the most talented guys who's gotten the shaft creatively because they've not put him in a position to thrive. And it's being hidden behind this guise of controversy. But it's not the same kind of controversy as what we've seen in the past with someone like John Cena. It's not founded in the same kind of fan resonance. So, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think you could obviously make a great argument that Seth Rollins has been pushed very consistently. I think Seth Rollins is is far more consistently pushed than Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns has never actually been pushed consistently. But there's a lot of things like that. And I'll go back to what Carl said about the intercontinental and u.s titles carl i would in a heartbeat trade a great main event scene that consistently flowed the way that it did 10 years ago if it meant that the intercontinental and united states championships were half as relevant as they as they are now sure i I would take that in a heartbeat that's one of the big picture problems i have is i see u.s title that's small stuff in the big picture but if, okay. if, if that's what I'm banking my fandom on is the health of the secondary championships, okay. then yeah. something's missing. Something's can we, missing at the top. Can, can we maybe – I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to step back, but I think – I noticed a common trend, and I think it's something we're going to get on probably towards the end here, but, hell, we might be able to segue into it now if we want to. I noticed a common theme when you're talking about SummerSlams and WrestleManias and that theme seems to be one guy. And no, it's not Roman Reigns. It's Brock Lesnar. There you go. And in and, and a lot of ways, I feel, and I'm not, this is not to the fault of Brock himself. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to be like, oh, this is all Brock's fault. Look, if you're Brock Lesnar and Vince McMahon offers you a, the contract you just cannot say no to, you'd be stupid not to take it. But so I don't, I'd never begrudge anybody for getting their money and doing their thing. But I think WWE has put so many eggs into the Brock Lesnar basket that that itself is a detriment because we're so focused on – they're focused on this Lesnar-Reigns thing and just Lesnar in general. I mean, when Lesnar came back, he squashed John Cena. Not when he first came back, I remember if I recall, Cena beat him. Yeah. Yeah. He beat the hell out of him, but he lost. Yeah. But he squashes Cena. He's had matches against under. He beat, broke the streak at WrestleMania. Well, that's that's uh, where it started. It, yeah. His first couple of years back were kind of up and down. But once he beat, once he beat that streak, it was on. So I think there's there's I don't know if it's an in it obsession with the company or specific people within the company, i.e. even man maybe because Brock is a crossover guy more so than anybody really that's on their roster now that there's this obsession with saying, okay, Brock is the guy because he has this extra appeal. And, you know, with, with UFC, especially a lot of MMA fans, they usually shit on wrestling. In my, in my experience, most MMA fans are not big wrestling fans. Like if they're like hardcore MMA fans, but I know a lot of wrestling fans who enjoy both mm-hmm. that are mainly a wrestling fan, if that makes sense. 
So I don't know if there's this this desire to just get those extra eyes. And I wonder that if maybe now with WWE getting this big contract with Fox and right now with a market cap of like $6 billion, if we might see them actually get away from some of this, because it feels like, and Monday feels like a little bit of a precursor to that. You almost feel the wheels turning in a way to where you see maybe this Brock Lesnar thing. And you said it last week, Rance, and I think it was even more shown this week. This Brock Lesnar thing might be coming to an end because I feel like he's been a holdup and taken a little bit of the product hostage. I've, I've thought that for a while, and I think most people know that, but I'd like to get your opinion on that if you – either one of you. Well, uh, before you say something, Chad, I want to add on to that real quick because I want to shift this conversation to the probably the number one argument that Chad and I have, which is very relevant to what you just said. It is success versus critical critical enjoyment um one of the biggest arguments chad and i have is that um he doesn't like it when i say that well because they're so financially successful things are working because right now critically they're at a low point with a lot of fans which even though i love most of what's going on i can acknowledge that but I think when you bring up Brock, I think that goes to that financial success because, yes, Brock is barely there. You're absolutely right. Yes, Brock is holding a big portion of the show hostage. Absolutely. But every time Brock is on that television, the ratings go up. Brock's, Brock, the shows Brock's are, Brock, the shows that Brock is on, excuse me, seem to do better. You know, having a guy like Brock Lesnar and now a woman like Ronda Rousey as the forerunners of that product has only done good things for them from a financial standpoint. They And I, I realize that this might, this I'm sure this isn't because of Brock or Ronda, but it happens, it seemed to happen at the same time, but there's, they're getting into areas that they were never in before. They have a deal with Saudi Arabia. They have a TV deal with a new TV deal with India, a new TV deal with Australia, a new TV deal with this co- country and that country and this country and that country. So all these things seem to kind of all happen at the same time. But I think you cannot deny that if not the catalyst, a part of it has to be Brock being the forefront, whether we like it or not. Sure. I mean, I, you know, before, before Chad jumps in, I just want to say, I think it kind of brings the ultimate question to me because what I'm seeing is, and I, I'm, I'm this way too, as someone who's interested in the business side of how things work, we have to remember that there are a large subset of fans who could not care less and they have enjoyed WWE the way it's been for years and years and years when they weren't this billion dollar company that they're about to be now where it's, sure. you know what I mean? And I think, it kind of brings the ultimate question into place here. What What is, if you're WWE and obviously you want to make money and they're making money, what is more important to you? And I, I know the answer because Vince is a businessman, but what is more important to you? The quality of the product or the amount of money that's being made? But, you know what I mean? I think there's, there's been a, like, they're making money, but is the quality as good as it used to be as good as it has been? Eh, you know, I think that's what 
what the hardcore fans want is, hey, we just want our wrestling. You know, we just want our wrestling. Sure, but I'm going to lead you in, Chad, with this. The floor is yours after I say this. You can't deny that just because we might not like it specifically because for our taste, there are millions of people who love what they're doing. And there's and I, there's no way the company could be this financially successful if there weren't, which is kind of the crux of my argument with Chad. The floor is yours, my man. Oh, that's a lot to unpack. Um, <laughs> well, uh, hmm. Take your Let's time, start bro. with Brock. Let's start with Brock. Uh, let me go back to what Carl mentioned. Um, I think Brock is. I think Brock is an issue for a lot of fans, and I think that part of it. And again, I'm going back to the last two years, especially. I think part of it is that in these last two years, you know, what have, what did we see at the end of 2016 that we would not have seen? I mean, almost guaranteed, we would not have seen this 10 years earlier. You rewind the clock when there was talk about, um, or even going back to 2014 with the breaking the streak, the Undertaker streak. A decade prior to now, the guys who were being talked about for breaking the Undertaker streak. <laughs> you remember who they were? Randy Orton. Randy Orton, who at the time was 25, 23, 24, 25 years old. Edge. It was Edge, who at the time was uh, uh, coming into his own as a main event star. And it John was Batista, yeah. and Batista, who was yeah. coming into his own as a main event star. It was John yeah. Cena. You Now you fast forward to the present day, and... Were, were 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 was Bray Wyatt in that discussion? Should have been, but they should have had bad timing. But yeah, he should. You know who would have been? He should have been the guy to break that it. discussion. Who's that? Roman Reigns would have been a great choice for for that for that honor because it would have absolutely made Roman Reigns right out of the gate. People wouldn't have liked it, but you know that's actually a separate issue is whether or not people <laughs> would like it and, and how <laughs> WWE would choose to yeah. deploy him from there. Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Kevin Owens. I mean, these are all potential viable choices that aren't dis- that were not discussed to our knowledge now, and that if, if if Undertaker streak was still going, probably wouldn't be discussed now based on recent trends. That was an honor given to Brock Lesnar, who they felt like they had to heat back up, and it worked. And quite frankly, I never had a problem with it. I wrote it in this book that I, that we just talked about in the first half of the show. Didn't have a problem with it. Where I had a problem with it is that you took all the heat from the streak and you transferred it over to Brock Lesnar. And who'd you give it to in the end? A 50-year-old Goldberg. Was was Kevin Owens discussed? Was Roman Reigns discussed? I'm sure obviously he was, but why not go ahead and execute that? I mean, there were opportunities galore for somebody to benefit from all that heat that he got from breaking the streak. And by the time that the, the loss happened to Goldberg at that point, I mean, conversation over, that was one of the biggest creative decisions I disagreed with. Again, it's not the end of the world, but it's absolutely not something that would have happened 10 years ago. Uh, so Carl I'm, I'm, and, and everything you guys have just said, I'm having a hard time recalling everything you said about Brock, but I think one of the biggest problems that we have with Brock now 
is that for the past year and a half, we're seeing a story that we've already seen before. We've already seen the Brock Lesnar part-time champion story. And the first time around, right after the streak was ended and he demolished John Cena at SummerSlam 2014, that story was fascinating because it was novel and we hadn't seen it before. And it added value because you yeah. didn't know what they were going to do with it. And you didn't know, it, would Seth Rollins or John Cena beat this guy at the Royal Rumble? Would, would, you know, would Roman be crowned at WrestleMania 31? I mean, at that time, it was exciting. At that time, when Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar was about to happen the first go-round, the ESPN relationship was born of Brock Lesnar resigning with moment. WWE. That was what got the ESPN and WWE relationship started to the point where now that's a big deal. Yep. But that was that was three years ago. And when the Brock thing started again, and we were told in advance what it was going to culminate in, and then it didn't actually culminate in that with Roman Reigns not toppling him at WrestleMania 34. We've seen a sequel to a movie we already saw. And like a lot of sequels, the sequel hasn't been nearly as good. So it, it's frustrating from a fan standpoint because not just is Brock holding the product hostage in a way, but he's doing it in a way that he's already done. And there's nothing new or creative or interesting about it this time around. We knew he wasn't going to lose the title. So for those of us that care enough to follow that type of news, that held the product hostage. That's why it held the product hostage. It wasn't necessarily the fact that he was a part-time champ, because we've seen that. It was the fact that it was a part-time champ repeat. It was an episode that was a lot worse than the first one. And then in regards to the, the financial impact of Brock Lesnar, my argument to Rance has always been, fair enough, prove it. Because here's the thing. You think the deal they got for SmackDown had anything to do with Brock Lesnar? The same Brock Lesnar that's on TV of 52 weeks that Raw presents? Brock Lesnar is on how many times? Ten? No. Yes, but but that's that's not... I get what you're saying, and that's a valid point, but that's not fair because the only reason SmackDown was up anyway was because USA didn't want him. USA, USA, NBC Universal didn't want SmackDown. They said, we're, we're going to give Raw this money because Raw is our proven moneymaker. You can go ahead and take bids on SmackDown. And it just so happened to coincide with Fox selling all their assets and they needed live television. So it was a perfect sure, storm. And that's the thing. And, and that's the thing. So it's not like Brock Lesnar was a big part of that. But that's my point is, so Brock moves the needle on TV with ratings. Okay, so what? The TV deal's locked in a year and a half, two years, three years in advance anyway. It doesn't matter if Brock Lesnar moves the needle 10 times a year because it doesn't change the amount of money they're getting. You, from a contract standpoint, you're absolutely right. But it's not just the money. It's the interest. It's the conversation. It's things that can ultimately... Okay, you and I have argued about how much value there is to put in the YouTube views, right? If you, you They don't make much money off of YouTube in terms of comp comparable to like their uh, their deals, but they're the number two biggest YouTube channel in the world, and you there are YouTubers that make millions of dollars off of that. That's significant. So you know, and to to the SmackDown point, no, Brock didn't give SmackDown the money, but Brock 
making Raw, being the biggest dog on Raw, most visible dog on Raw, no pun intended to Roman Reigns, made Raw so big that NBC Universal realized they can't pay for both. So, in a way, you could really make the argument that he's not the reason, but he played a part in it. Because if, if Raw was, think about the last contract they got. They were underbid way more than they thought they would be. And they had, they had to eat crow. This one, Raw had gotten, not from a rating standpoint, but it's such a historically consistent product. It For all the talk about ratings, it is always top, at least top five, often top three in, its dem, in, in every demo, every Monday night. It's consistent live television in a time where live television is cheap, affordable, and easy to throw on there. So, with Raw getting as big in the eyes of these companies as it was, if it wasn't, then SmackDown would still be on on USA, right? Sure. And here's the thing. I mean, I don't have any. I mean, I have. I mean, I have no real counter argument to what you're saying. I mean, I think that kind of is what it is. I think you could make a legitimate argument that at this point in time, we really don't know how much of an impact someone like Brock Lesnar has outside of moving the ratings needle a little bit, because here's the reality. WWE pay-per-views are the number one trend on social media, regardless of whether or not he's there. Regardless. So, I mean, that is what it is. I think steering it back toward more of the, uh, what the, what the, when you and I get into the discussion about finances, and this is what I'd be curious to get your take on Carl is my argument when fans bring up, finances is all right well all right who cares i mean that is not <laughs> what fans care about it's like that's fair you know one of the problems i have with your argument goes to the same thing that i argued about in my book which is this concept from all the way back in the day where people will say that andre versus hogan is the greatest match of all time why because it drew the most money well drawing the most money is not the only thing that makes something great so, and then from a fan standpoint, it's the least significant thing of what makes it great because why do fans give a crap how much money it makes? You're what fans care right. about is the quality of the product. No different than, I mean, basically what you've described to me, and this is what makes the most sense to be as an analogy, you've just described WWE to me as the Donald Sterling era Clippers. The Donald Sterling no. era Clippers made a lot of money. But at the same, I mean, they made enough money to where they could sell that, but that franchise sold for $2 billion. Right. But the product on the court was never very good. But did Donald Sterling care? No, he didn't care because he made money and it was a business venture to him. And that's fine because that's what his game is. But make no mistake that that's not what fans care about. Fans don't care how much of how much money the team makes or the franchise makes, or in this case, WWE as a franchise makes. They care about the quality of what they see. And there are some casual fans of pro basketball, just as there are casual fans of pro wrestling, that are going to watch it regardless, just because it's something they have enough interest in to follow but not follow closely. But your diehard fans, the ones that are, are there all the time regardless and really have an investment in how good your product is, they're going to be the ones who are not okay with mediocre product and output in order to facilitate great money. 
And, and the problem that WWE as fans that we've run into is that once upon a time, we were a big part of determining how much money they made. Nowadays, millions of people can stop watching Raw and their reward, more money than ever for their TV products. Because right. of what? Not because the quality of the product is great, but because networks want live programming that's consistent. So it's not we want great live programming. It's we okay. want live programming that people will watch. Not because WWE's product on TV is booming, but because WWE as a brand is booming. And okay. that is where we fall into the chasm as fans is we don't really have that much influence anymore. There are a lot of people that watch WWE, pay attention to WWE, follow it on social media, follow it on YouTube, buy the network subscription, casually watch Raw in decreasing numbers, mind you. Internationally, it's all over the place. The brand is thriving. But the, the problem as a fan that's a diehard that wants, that wants the product to be great is where's the motivation coming from for WWE to make that product great? We've okay. lost a part of our influence, and that's frustrating. Let, let me rebut before Carl jumps in real quick. I want to rebut to that. So there's a bunch of things to rebut. I'll try to be as fast as I can. But number one, I, I'm not saying that fans should be concerned with the finances. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when fans have these questions as to why things are happening, don't act as if finances aren't important or, if nothing else, the number one reason. And that's my biggest issue with the money situation. People swear up and down that the, that the product sucks. Okay, that's fine. But understand some of these some of these uh, some of these decisions being made are for a bottom line, and the bottom line is working. To your Donald Sterling uh, comparison, I don't like that comparison because WWE isn't one one simple thing. There are three major brands of WWE. I'm not even gonna talk about 205 Live or NXT UK. But you have Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. They're three separate brands with three separate products. So, if anything, I, I, and I, I'm sure the, the, the normal listener wouldn't know this name. But there's a guy by the name of Mike Illich who owned, he just recently passed, but he owned the Red Wings in Detroit and the Tigers in Detroit, and he's the guy that created Little Caesars. That's what you compare WWE to. Because it's multiple hands multiple brands in one brand so yes excuse me wwe is the conglomerate but it's equals no different than disney you can't just say well this it's, it's not just disney it's marvel it's uh lucasfilm it's abc it's so many different entities so donald sterling could sit back and collect checks because his one product sucked but if you hate raw you might love smackdown you might love nxt there is so much to so much so many things to enjoy or engorge with yourself with if i may say so that the it's it's always interesting to me the things that people choose to have problems with and i don't i don't have an issue with what people have problems with because there are issues the issue is that you the people it's you're not the only person that they're trying to cater to so for example, uh, Carl said he had an issue with Sasha, the Sasha and Bailey buildup. Okay, that's fine. A lot of people did. There's a whole lot more people that enjoyed it. So, you know, we, we fall in this habit as fans of thinking that, and yes, it, 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 it's made worse by the 
forgive me for using this term, but the hive mentality we have as wrestling fans to kind of, on social media, match with like-minded people. But we sometimes we can we convince ourselves a lot of times as wrestling fans that only what we want matters, and if we're not getting what we want, then it sucks. That's not true, you know. And then you mentioned that the fans don't have any, um, the fans don't have any. I can't remember the word you use, but let's say leverage, right? Well, that's not fair because when they do, Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler, you don't know what you want. There's been many a times in these past few years the fans have gotten what they want and they have subsequently just let it go. The best example of all time, SummerSlam 2014. Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. Your guys were in the main event of the show you wanted doing the things you wanted them to do. And it was over 100,000 less I might, I might be thinking 2013, I'm sorry. Whatever year it was. Over 100,000 less buy rates than the year before. Who main evented the year before? Triple H and Brock Lesnar. Like, these things matter. So, yes, I understand that in a perfect world, all we would care about and all that mattered was the in-ring, in-ring business. But it's not true. Because if it was true, there would have been another company by now to even be half the size of WWE in, in the United States. Carl, if you want to jump in, go yeah, ahead, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say I don't like the Detroit Tigers, Red Wings, Little Caesars analogy because every single one of their products is trash, excluding Little Caesars is the worst pizza on the planet. But that's okay. It's okay. I get your point. <laughs> At least WWE does a few things right, even if it's just NXT or whatever. But, um, no, I, I mean, I think you guys both make really good points. I, I think, you know – for me, that's always just kind of been what I can do, and I, I don't, I don't try and preach this on people because we're gonna do what we're gonna do, you know. I, I, mindsets are hard to change, especially when you're talking to wrestling fans who are so hardcore and typically don't much like the political world now. They don't want nobody wants to listen to anybody. We want we want to, we want you to hear what we have to say, but we don't want to hear what you have to say, and that's a very it's a it's a problem. So what, but for me, and that's why I never say this, but for me, like I said with the Sasha Bailey thing, and you bring up a good point because you're right. Like I didn't like it. I know a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people do enjoy it. So for me, it's always been a matter of, listen, and it's easy to do this with WWE. I can step away for a while and come back and check and say, okay, has it gotten any better? Am I enjoying Like, is this something I can enjoy now? Like, it's not that easy WWE is beautiful in the fact that they can do that because there's always another story. Like when one is over, another one will begin. You can't really do that with like regular television, right? So when people say, well, you don't do that when you watch Game of Thrones or Sons of Anarchy, well, no, because that's one massive story being told over 50, 60 episodes and there will be an ending. And you know what I mean? It will end at some point. WWE doesn't really end. It's just one huge cycle. It's like one long roller coaster that just continually runs at all times. And they just go from one one hills, hills and valleys all day long. That's what they do. So I think for me, the, the best advice I've always been able to give people that aren't enjoying is just, listen, I'm not telling you to do it, but I think it's good to just step back 
even if you have been watching wrestling your whole life and say, listen, I'm just not enjoying this. I begrudge nobody that chooses to go find another product. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about some of the other products that are out there. You know, we, we know guys like Caleb, for instance, you know, he's been watching a lot of impact. He likes he's impact. Always, he's always yeah, liked impact. By I know, but he, but he's really like been pushing for the, for people to watch. And that's great. If you are really passionate about something, my issue always revolves around disliking something and going out of your way to make sure that you talk trash about it. It's one thing to express how you feel. It's another thing to be like, this is shit. Nobody should watch it. And I think that's kind of where we run into, but it's not something we run into with Chad, who's more of a, hey, I'm not really liking this right now. You know, that that's different. There, there's a difference there. Chad's a more, you're a more rational human being. And I think it can get kind of mixed up in those arguments sometimes with the rational and the irrational. And they're arguing about different things a lot of times. And it's not, nobody wants to really take a step back. And that's kind of what I like to do. So that's just kind of like the way I would try and like, you know, not rebut anything here because I think you both make really valid points. I mean, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to argue. It's just really a matter of what side you're on. Yeah. Where you yeah. fall and what you think of the good solution is. And if you're willing to step back or if you're willing to walk away or if you're willing to keep trudging through the mud with it, you know what I mean? I think the one thing that despite all of the discrepancies that we could bring up with the way that each of us may view the current product. The one thing that we should be able to agree upon, I think, is that we want the wrestlers that we watch. As diehard fans, we want to see them put in a position to thrive. Yeah. Fair okay. enough? That's, yes. That's, that's absolutely. Sure. So I want to use I want to use CM Punk as an example from not that long ago. As someone who was given the opportunity to thrive, someone that was given the opportunity to tell great stories, to express himself emotionally in a way that would be allowed to connect with us emotionally. The door that he cracked open, Daniel Bryan was able to kick down and tell a story to us that connected with us emotionally. And what I think is the biggest problem with the product, regardless of all the things about the financial part, at the end of the day, what we don't see right now is the same opportunities for these guys to connect emotionally. One of the guys who I feel like is the best in the game right now, because I think they've given him the chance to connect with people emotionally, doesn't mean it's always worked, but he's always been given the chance and been given the opportunity is Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has been given the opportunity time and again to connect with us on an emotional level. And most of the time, whether it be as a bad guy or over the last couple of years, as a protagonist, he's been given the chance to connect with us in some way. I do not think that a lot of his peers have been given similar opportunities. I think Roman Reigns sits at the top of that list. And because of that, I think that's incredibly disappointing. I think that you have guys like Kevin Owens who have been given sort of an opportunity, but not the kind of full-on opportunity that maybe an edge would have been 10 years prior. That's the biggest problem, I think, with the product is all roads lead back to 
the fact that we are living in an era in which WWE, speaking to a point you made earlier about Brock Lesnar, Carl, but really extending beyond him, WWE is obsessed with its past. And because of its obsession with its past, it has stunted the present. And that is what holds the product back. And if the product was allowing these young guys, these modern stars, the guys that are around, are we all in our mid-30s? Where, where are we at? Are we early yeah. in the 30s? I just yeah. turned 30 this year, so yeah. And I'm okay. 33, so yeah. All right, so we're all around the same age. Most of the guys in their prime right now, from Finn Balor to Kevin Owens to Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, they're all right around our age. I want them to be given the chance to thrive. I think they're talented enough to easily usurp the level that guys like Dolph Ziggler was able to reach earlier this decade. But I don't think they're being given the chance. And above all else, that's my problem. I think that guys like Seth Rollins are at times given an opportunity to showcase what makes them great. I want to know that a guy like Seth Rollins, after what he's done this year, after what I felt like he did very well last year that went underappreciated, I want to know that he is involved in a product that as a result of what he has done, that he's got a legitimate shot to main event WrestleMania next year. And to be honest with you, I can't swear that he does. And to me, that's the greatest disappointment of the modern era to date. And until that changes, that big picture issue stands atop my list of gripes that makes it harder for me to fully invest in the product today because I don't feel that the guys that are at the forefront of the product week in and week out when the part-timers aren't there, I don't feel that WWE has as fully invested in them as they want me to be fully invested in their product at large. Okay. I mean, that's very well put. I mean, We've talked enough. We've talked enough for you to know I disagree with a bunch of that, but I understand where you're coming from, and you you put it at a perfect point that we can all agree that we want our favorites to be pushed relevantly to what we think they should be pushed. I totally agree with that. Um, I don't know how much time you got. Do you have time to talk a little current wrestling, or do we need to let you go? I am. I'm gonna need to get off. I'm gonna okay. need to get off. Okay. Well. Hey, man, uh, thank you for coming on. Do you want to plug your stuff? Tell them where they can find you. Sure, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I, uh, You can find me on Twitter at the Doc LOP. You can read my columns on lordsofpain.net. It's the doctor's orders. My podcast is The Doc Says. It can be found on the Lords of Pain radio station on Blog Talk Radio. So just... Search for it on uh, on iTunes or any of the platforms, and you'll find it. Uh, and then, of course, the book, The Greatest Matches and Rivalries of the WrestleMania Era. You can find it in any, pretty much any online platform that you've got. But if you want a direct link to it, then uh, just check out my Twitter profile, and it's linked. It's pinned to the top of my page. You're the man, Chad. I appreciate you coming on, brother. We got it. Yeah, man. You know, we could talk hours much longer. But yeah, I think so. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> yeah. you, Chad. Really. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been great. All right. Uh, so we have, we had to let Chad go. Uh, you know, he is a doctor and he has doctor stuff to do. 
Um, that's <laughs> hey, not we got a good two hours out of that, and I think there's some really good content there. Uh, so once again, you know, want to say thanks to Chad for coming on, and yeah, man. Hopefully, you guys seriously. I mean it when I tell you that I think you'll enjoy the hell out of his book if you're a big time wrestling fan. You just if you devour all things wrestling, I think you're really going to enjoy it, especially the, you know, the WWE side of it. And it's funny you say that because you hadn't even read the book. I have the book. So, yeah. yes, I say that tenfold. It yeah. is tremendously interesting. It It is a lot to ingest, but I promise you it is well worth it. And it, I mean, some of the chapters, like most of the chapters are like three pages. So you'll get through a bunch of it pretty fast. Yeah, and you can. I mean, and you can take a break, you know, because you got yeah, you got specific matches. You you read about a match, you go watch it. Go watch it. It's the perfect way to read, to read and watch, read and watch. You know. While we're plugging books, I I, I would be remiss if I didn't plug my big homie Sam Samuel Plan. He wrote a book uh, about a year or so ago, uh, hundred and one matches to see before you die. It was a yes, column. Yeah. Uh, it was a column in column form. He did it and. When he started the idea, we all told him, you stupid. It's not going to work. You're going to stop at like 85. Yeah, it took this him about dude, two years, though, didn't it? To it took that. a little longer than that, big dog. Like some of the matches, he was he was coming up with some of the matches that he was making up that didn't even happen yet. You know, but <laughs> my man finished it and made the book. So while we're plugging Lords of Pain books, Chad and Plan are like family. You know, we go back. I go back with those guys eight years. They've been extremely, extremely good to me. Um, and I appreciate their friendship, and I appreciate Chad being on. But uh, we do need to talk a little current wrestling. We're going to try to get through this pretty fast. Um, I feel like we have to start with what you – when – so, okay. Tuesday on SmackDown, Charlotte made her esteemed return after after uh, Carmella did once again a masterful uh, promo saying yes. that nobody oh believed God, in yeah. her and uh, WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross uh, told her that she would be nothing and, and and everybody else got all the accolades and she's just trying to live up and in perfect Carmella fashion try to turn on be, try to beat up uh, Becky Charlotte makes a return because of everything Carmella said and talking trash to Paige Paige made a match where Carmella will fight Charlotte. If Charlotte won, she'd be added to the match at, at SummerSlam and Triple Threat match. And in Charlotte, of course she won. Carl, let him have it. Okay, so first of all, let's 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 talk about Carmella first before I get too fired up. Um, for those of you who don't believe in Carmella, something's wrong with y'all. Like I, <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean it. And like I understand where it comes from. It comes from a place of well. Maybe she's not the best wrestler on the roster, which is fine. We're talking about a roster full of talented wrestlers. So, the, I mean, okay. Like, in my, my opinion, Sasha Banks isn't the best wrestler on the roster. doesn't matter. She's great. She's she excellent, does, by the way. Sasha's excellent. I don't know what you're talking about. Sasha's an excellent wrestler. but continue. No, I didn't say she wasn't. I'm just saying, like, you know, she's, I don't think she's the best, right? But anyways, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is... Carmella did what Carmella does, first of all, which is make me give a shit. Make me hate her. Make The things that she's supposed to do, she does it. And it's not the first time. Let's just we harken back to when she won the Money in the Bank briefcase back in 2017. The promo she cut 
the night after where everyone shit on her or the two nights after rather where everyone shit on her because a man helped her win the briefcase. And she was like, who cares was the perfect promo. And she, this promo is on top is better because she has shown that she is the one person of all the women on the roster who could care less about the women's evolution. Right. If you think about it, she doesn't care. She's just there to win titles and get her face on TV. That is who she is. And it's, it's shown with these promos that she's not worried about all this other stuff and all this camaraderie and all this stuff. She doesn't care about any of that. So first of all, I just want to say major props to Carmella because she is amazing. I, I don't know why people hate her. It's, it's, oh, I'll, I can tell you once, you once you're finished. I'll tell you. No, that's fine. So let's move on, though. Becky Lynch, look, I love Becky. She's one of my one of my definitely one of my favorites. And she has had the last mm, year and a half, two years, have not been necessarily Becky friendly. It's been a lot of a lot of Charlotte, a lot of Alexa, and now Ronda Rousey's entered, and it's been a lot of that. And Becky is kind of like she's almost like in a lot of ways the underdog, the forgotten. She's the Sami Zayn Daniel Bryan. Yeah, and so one thing you got to understand about Becky is they've portrayed her as such. She's in a point at a point now where she's been given an opportunity. She earned an opportunity to face Carmella for the title. But let's keep in mind something here. Charlotte comes back on Tuesday and immediately gets kind of inserted into it. Now, the first thing I want to say is that's not – one, it's not Charlotte's fault. It's Paige's fault. Paige could have easily have just been like, okay, you're fighting Charlotte tonight. She didn't have to add – like Charlotte, while she didn't necessarily earn anything, it was handed to her. Like she said, it was the golden opportunity. She came, she's been gone. She came back. Carmella ran her mouth. It is what it is. It's Charlotte. Of course she's going to be involved. But here's the thing. The story isn't – about Becky and Carmella. Becky Becky one-on-one with Carmella, much like Asuka, right? Asuka won because she kept getting distracted. Well, Ellsworth is gone. Becky one-on-one with Carmella is not a match. It's a match, but it's a match that Becky's going to win. Yep. Okay? So the point is, the broader story being told here is you throw Charlotte in the mix, all of a sudden – Oh, well, Becky and Charlotte are best friends, as portrayed on television. Okay, they're best friends. It's the perfect story because now you can see the resentment in Becky already that Charlotte has this opportunity. She didn't want Charlotte to win. We know that. And and that's the beautiful part about it is we're getting layers of Becky now. If for people that think this is about Charlotte, I am almost – amazed by that thought process if you can't look past it and see that this is about becky lynch this story is about becky lynch in my opinion well it's funny you say that because remember when roman was helping seth against Dolph and drew and right the one week uh seth was getting his ass beat and roman came out and helped him the next week Roman was getting ass beat. Seth came out and helped him. Right. And everybody said in both instances, the whole thing was just about Roman. Well, how can right. it be about Roman when it's two different instances? Right. 
people just think that Roman and, and Charlotte are just the golden geese and they're going to get pushed regardless and all this and nothing else matters but those two. So, yes, it, it's completely couldn't be further from the truth. But, you know, what can you do? But Yeah, yeah I, I get very heated at this because a lot of, you know, the whole thing with Charlotte, we understand. Yes, she's a flair. Her daddy is quite possibly the greatest of all time in, in the argument, in the discussion, of course. Charlotte is great, and Charlotte has been given a lot of opportunities. And she's, But she's also performed when given those opportunities. She didn't squander those opportunities. So let's remember that, too. But this story, and far be it for me to say I'm 100% correct, SummerSlam could be a different story. Something could different could happen. Charlotte could win, and Becky could go right back to the bottom for all I know. But I don't think that's what's going to happen because to me, even if Becky doesn't win the title, which I do think is a possibility, there's no ironclad thing here in my mind that says Becky's going to win the title. The broader story here is about her. And I, and of course. I, I mean, and I, I, but I don't think enough people realize that. I think no. more people want to say this is about Charlotte coming in and getting thrown right back in the middle of things because she's her and, and it's all about Charlotte. And that's, that's not what's happening here. No. Can, can I, can I give you an analogy of what I think this is like? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a nerd, but I'm not this big of a nerd. I don't remember the episode it was, but the, the first episode of the trilogy of star Wars that came out in the mid two thousands. Okay. Yeah. Right? Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. Yeah. You know, that was supposed to show us how Anakin became Darth Vader, right? Yeah, well, as he was starting to head that way, yeah. Yeah, you know, he was being taught by Obi-Wan and all this stuff, right? So people are looking forward to that. Looking forward to what they've waited to see for years. You know, we want to see where Darth came from in the Skywalker bloodline. And then they throw you Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and I'm not comparing Char to Jar Jar Binks. What I'm what I'm saying is I don't I think everybody watching acknowledges that the story is still about Becky. The problem is, and I disagree with this completely. I'm on your side. The problem is, people see Charlotte infringing upon Becky's moment. That right. Every, that 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 Becky doesn't have many of these quote unquote moments. Well, Charlotte's been the diamond of the Divas division going to the women's division. Remember, she's the last Divas division, Divas champion ever. And, and, and to the women's championship, you know? So, I, I, no different than people wanted to see Obi-Wan and Anakin and, and where that was going. And then you got Misa Jar Jar Binks for 40 minutes. You right. Know? And there's a purpose for that. But people didn't care about the reason because they were just so upset that he was there. So, I'm with you. You, you know, for, for a fan base that screams they want layered stories and better told stories, there's no better story that can be told on the SmackDown roster than Becky and Charlotte. Because let me give you a little history. Remember, PCB, that's they debuted together. Paige, Charlotte, Becky. They debuted yeah. together. Paige turned on Charlotte. Becky and Charlotte stayed together. Charlotte won the championship, went all full heel on Becky, Blew the hell out of Becky for about three, four months. And then they had to work their way back to being friends again. They became friends, but Charlotte continued to be, get all the spotlight and get the title matches and get the championship and do all this and do all that. And Becky had the language in the, in you know, in, on, on the, in the mid card of the women's division. Charlotte, is, don't think, and please, I don't think it's, these are coincidences. 
Charlotte goes away for injury. Becky starts getting the big push. Charlotte comes back right before the second biggest pay-per-view of the year. Two months from now is the first women's women's pay-per-view. These things are happening for a reason. That's the best story they can tell in that on that roster setting up to evolution because this is going to be huge for them obviously god yes and 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 now just much like the beauty much like the tremendously told story on nxt of gargano champa and now adding alistair black it's no different than this isn't just a triple threat where you just threw people in charlotte and becky have a real story between each other charlotte and and uh carmella have a real story between each other Becky and and Carmella have a real story. Remember, Becky was supposed to win Money in the Bank, but who pushed her off? Ellsworth for uh, Carmella. Second Money in the Bank match after they stripped her of the title of the of the of the briefcase. Same thing happened, right? At uh at the WrestleMania match, uh that Naomi ended up winning at 33. Uh, she finally got uh she finally got her comeuppance. Uh, Becky did on Ellsworth to finally try to get at Carmella. All three of these women have extremely layered stories between the three of them. It's only going to manifest itself more wonderfully in the triple threat. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I, two things I want to I want to say, and we can, if you have more to say, that's fine. Or if not, we can move on. But I, um, with Becky, first of all, you people that love Becky, I love Becky too. Much similar to the way I, I used to, I really liked Daniel Bryan for a long time too. And I soured on him because a lot of people made me sour on him with, with the way they get so upset and frustrated with their push and, and this, that, and the other. You fucking people are not going to make me dislike Becky Lynch this time. I'm not going to let you do it this time around like you did with Daniel Bryan. Becky's going to be fine. The second thing I want to say, Becky Lynch and Carmella it's a match that certainly can happen at SummerSlam, and it's a great moment if Becky were to beat Charlotte and win the women's title. But you can't tell me right now, honestly, you cannot hear my words and tell me that uh, that Becky beating Carmella is a better moment than Becky beating both Carmella and Charlotte, more specifically beating Charlotte in the center of the ring. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I have a prediction for that, but it's not SummerSlam time yet. So we'll talk about that later. But just know that what, for me, as we head into evolution, I think Becky Lynch is a true centerpiece and may be the woman that you see riding high at the end of that pay-per-view as we get closer. I really do believe that. And I think we're going to talk, we'll talk about it later. Not, yeah. we're, not, we're not there yet, but I'm telling you right now, the story being told with Becky is layered. It's good. And it has a real good, it has a real true purpose. This triple threat is exactly what they should have done. I think it makes things that much better for SummerSlam. I'm glad Charlotte's back in time for it to happen. I am too. I was very, uh, I had reserved myself around the fact that Becky would finally get her full on comeuppance against Carmella, but I think it's, it's a much more interesting story. And I think the quality of the match has the opportunity to be that much better with Charlotte, who might be Oscar, notwithstanding the best female wrestler on the main roster. Sure. Um, but, uh, I, I said earlier that there's a reason why people don't like Carmella and, 
we there is this recent I don't know when it started god maybe from a subset it started around the ring of honor time but recently maybe the past five or six years there has been this wave of wrestling of 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 wrestling fans that all of a sudden have decided that nothing matters more than the in-ring product that's the only thing that matters and yeah don't get me wrong I would be an idiot to sit here and tell you that it doesn't matter or that it's not even an important as one of the most important aspects of the of the product but it's not the most so no it's you not. know we 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 so that's why you see women like Alexa and women like Carmella attack so often because yes they're beautiful and yes they happen to be blonde and yes well I, they're not models, but they come from that model-esque background. Carmella was a dancer, uh, and uh, Alexa was a bodybuilder. But they're not—they're not indie women wrestlers. They—they they don't have four-star matches. They don't have 15 different moves you can name off the top of your head. All of this, right? So people assume number one they can't wrestle. Number two that they suck because you know that. They don't bring anything to the table other than good looks and an and a interesting promo. And three, and this is the one that gets me the most, is that the company's only pushing them because they look good. And we all have seen, we have all forgotten that the entire reason we are all wrestling fans is because somebody cut a promo that interested us in a match, that made us watch the match, and then we were interested promo first match second not the other way around yeah well this Stories isn't build this, matches yeah this isn't ufc where we're where it's real like real combat sport so in order to get behind what we know is two guys telling each other what to do in the ring we need a story behind it at least that's how it is for me I know, I know it's evolved. I know it's how it's evolved for some, or I don't know if evolved is the right word. Maybe devolved for some, where <laughs> where now all we care about is the actual wrestling. But see, I would argue even on the indie circuit, they don't get as much TV time, right? Because they don't have a lot of these indie indie companies don't have the television deals and what have you. But what one thing that indie guys like to do is they utilize their social media. They create their own stories within social media. And I, I think because we think, oh, the indie guys are just out there. They're just wrestling and they're giving us the greatest wrestling matches. Yeah, maybe. But I bet you you could point to a lot of big indie feuds that people care about and find a story there sure, that well, brought you to that point. And I think people will forget that because we don't see it on television every week. Well, let me give you proof of that, Carl. Um so I feel like this is another way that the wrestling business has to your you to use the word you use actually evolved much like uh the whole Brock Lesnar situation that it's just a really really big demonstrative work to make you hate him that much more because we know so much I feel like we fans haven't accepted that that is for those indie guys the new quote unquote promo Perfect example, 
Cody versus Kenny Omega at Supercard of Honor. That entire feud, everything on BTE, is not shown on Ring of Honor or New Japan television. None of right. it is. It's all on a TV show that they... I'm sorry, not even a TV show. A YouTube show that they film with their own camera and their GoPros yeah. on YouTube and on, and on social media. But not one ounce of the story that we know from BTE, the TV sh- the show, was shown on any Ring of Honor television. When when Cody originally turned on Kenny at first, uh, it wasn't New Year's Dash, but it was in February, I believe it was, when Hangman stepped up to, to try to wrestle him. Mm-hmm. No, nobody, if you watch just New Japan, the TV, the, the actual shows, you don't know why Cody turned on him. Right? You, I mean, you, we all saw, you saw Cody would look at him weird. You didn't know they had real beef. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. But the thing is, wrestling fans are so in tune to not only what they want, but to what they've been taught. Because don't, don't please understand, everything that we know about wrestling business, somebody let us know. Right? We're not right. that smart to have figured it out. Somebody let us know it. Somebody's leaking the information. Somebody told us that this is how this works. So we were we were taught what we know about wrestling, right? But we're so we're so into it, and we're so into what we what exactly what we want that those indie fans you're speaking of don't realize that just like you said, those are promos. That's the story part of the business. Just because it's not in front of a mic, uh, in, in front of a camera with a mic and in, in a ring in front of people. Doesn't mean it's not the same thing. No, you're absolutely right. I, I just, I don't know. It's 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 a thing now where we're, we are focused on that, and I understand, you know, to an extent. And it's but it's the same thing. It's kind of like I told Chad was when he was on here. I've always been interested in the spectacle of wrestling, and the spectacle to me isn't necessarily the match. It's all the stuff that surrounds it. You know, the the gravitas is you like to use and, and those kind of things that for me is what draws me to people, not so much the wrestling matches. It's a lot of the reason why as much as I think AJ Styles is the greatest damn wrestler I've seen in years, I don't get crazy invested in his feuds because he's not a great promo, especially when he's a, when he's playing the protagonist, you know what I mean? Or the face. So well, I said it, you know, ah, I, I besmirched the name of AJ Styles, but I'm just being real with you here. Like, no, I for me, and for certain people, you know, what I need, especially is someone who can intrigue me, who can get under my skin. You know, I'm a father of two, two girls, right? When I hear Carmella saying all these great things about women and then turn around and just shit all over it, that's supposed to give me an emotional response. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what it does. I th- and I think that's that's the purpose, and that's what makes her so good. And I think, you know, a lot of people could learn from that, even if they aren't the best wrestler in the world. 100% right, brother. I completely agree with you. So uh, I want to talk uh, about a few that perfectly encapsulates that dichotomy, uh, which might be the best main roster feud right now. And that's the Miz and Daniel Bryan. Um, we've been waiting for this for two years, and uh, it's 
really gone full fledged. Uh, I've wanted to rant about this one moment for a t an entire week, so just indulge me for just a second. Yeah, go ahead, dog. So I don't understand how we don't get that Daniel Bryan is the heel in a situation. I understand on television Miz is dastardly, and I get that. But in just in terms of looking at it in a vacuum, Daniel's a heel, right? I, I don't see how we don't see that. Go back in their history. Who's the reason Daniel Bryan is in the WWE? The Miz. He was his pro in NXT. The reason he was his pro in NXT was because everybody and their mama know Daniel Bryan is, like you said about AJ, one of the best damn wrestlers in this world, if not ever, but has no charisma, has, well, had no charisma whatsoever. Who has charisma? Miz. Perfect match. Daniel Bryan gets loses and gets kicked off because he doesn't follow Miz's, uh, doesn't follow Miz's training. Daniel makes a bad decision to join the Nexus, chokes Justin Roberts with the tie, gets and and, and gets uh gets fired. Mid, while I was doing that, Miz just happens to be winning the Money in the Bank ladder match and his Money in the Bank uh, contract and is United States champion. At SummerSlam, people were begging Miz all month, "Will you help us? Because the Nexus is gonna is seven on seven. The Nexus taking us out. Miz, we need the seventh. Will you help us? Miz, help us." That night, he comes out and decides to say, "I will be glad to do it." And instead of them letting him do it, what happens? Cena says, nah, bro, we got our seventh. Who is it? Daniel Bryan. Bryan stole his thunder. Who who, who did Daniel Bryan beat for his first main roster championship? The Miz, right? So I'm just saying all these things are facts. You know what I mean? So let's talk about more current things, right? Uh, All the feuds they've had, this, that, and the other. But, uh... Brian always talks about how Miz is soft. That's one of the worst insults you can tell a man, especially an athlete, right? Sure. Yeah. That that's that, and that's just conjecture, right? Miz says to Brian, if you, everything Miz said to Brian has been facts. Miz has said to Brian that if you care about wrestling as much as you say you did, you would have quit and wrestled on the Indies. What's wrong? What's not true about that? Oh yeah, he could have gone. He could have left WWE and gone somewhere else. He could have quit and went anywhere he wanted, but he didn't. So that makes him a coward. Now that's an insult, but at least he's giving it some historical. He's giving it some precedence. Brian's just saying, "Hey, you're soft because I don't like how you wrestle." Okay, he's saying that you're not. Brian says that Miz isn't a. Uh, this by the way, this, this entire rant is in kayfabe. Right. Brian is, <laughs> Brian is saying that. Miz thinks he's a Hollywood A-lister, but he's not important. He's not John Cena. He's not uh, The Rock. Well, Brian is on two reality shows himself. So, I'm just saying. Like, you know, and then, most importantly, last week, Daniel Bryan came in that ring. Do you think he was coming to have a conversation with Miz? No. Daniel Bryan came in there to fight Miz, knowing Miz had a baby strapped to his chest. Thank God Miz had the foresight to know that this scoundrel, Daniel Bryan, <laughs> came to attack him. And got the the beautiful Monroe Sky out of harm's danger. Oh, honestly, thank God for that. Not going to lie. I was worried for Monroe Sky's safety, to be honest with you. Daniel, he's... He's, yeah. Go ahead. Carry on. You're still ranting. Saying, not to mention that the Miz, both of the episodes of Miz and Mrs. have doubled 
the the past episodes of Total Bellas and are the best episode best ratings WWE's ever gotten for a um, reality show. They're killing right now. Yeah. But, but I'm just but I, I so it's just funny to me. And so kayfabe off talk regular now. But yeah. it's funny to me <laughs> the difference in the two and people will cheer Brian regardless of anything he does. That's cool. People like Brian. Miz is killing it right now. Miz is making a whole bunch of sense. Miz, you know, everything Miz is touching is gold right now. And what I want to talk to you about was they actually let Miz say, why don't you just leave when your contract is up? Right. That's, do you think there's any relevance to that? Because surely they wouldn't let him mention it and then Brian going to leave, right? There's no way. No, no, I don't think Brian's going anywhere. Uh, Here's the thing. I think that one thing WWE has done well but doesn't overdo is kind of implement some of those real-life things that we know are going on behind the scenes. And I think that's, in a way, how they cater to the more – what's the right word? The more – yeah, I hate hate using that term. But the more knowledgeable fans that keep up with what's going on behind the scenes. A lot of us know that Daniel Bryan's contract is getting close to expiring – and so, as um, our buddy Stephen Bell might point out, that he doesn't think Daniel Bryan should be pushed anywhere near a, a championship until Daniel Bryan signs on the dotted line, which I agree with. Um, but I don't think Daniel Bryan would – if he wasn't coming back, if he wasn't going to resign, I don't think those kind of things would be thrown into the promos. But I think it gives because the Miz is so good at kind of connecting the bridge between kayfabe and reality, as shown by the promo he did on the ex Enzo Amore. I think that it's the perfect way to allow someone that you know can handle that kind of that piece of information and bring it onto WWE programming, and it kind of teases a little bit right like because there's a lot of people who are like oh he needs to leave daniel needs to leave wwe and go to new japan and go do this that and the other blah 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 and yeah sure if that's what he wants to do but we're being teased here we're being poked and prodded by the wwe they're saying hey listen we know you know his contract's expiring and we know that you want him to go somewhere else because you think we suck so bad but guess what the guy that might be the best wrestler in the world yeah he's staying here like, and, I, and I feel like that's exactly what they're doing. And the perfect vehicle to use for that is The Miz because The Miz is not the best wrestler in the world. The Miz is – he's the chicken shit heel. He's the promo guy. He's the guy that has very stable matches, but he doesn't necessarily give you much that wows you in terms of offense like a Daniel Bryan does. I really feel like it's, it's almost like a backhanded compliment. Like – we're going to give you a little bit of something you like, and then we're going to smack you back into reality because guess what? Daniel Bryan ain't going fucking anywhere. And I, I think that's what's happening here. It's called working the marks. Oh, yeah. We're getting, we're getting, you know, we're getting, I get worked all the time, so it's no big deal. Well, yeah, we do because we care about, well, you do. <laughs> because because we, we care about the product in a way that isn't detrimental to the product. Because, you know, and it's, there's nothing wrong with not liking what not liking what you don't like. 
nothing wrong with that at all. Chad is a perfect example of that. I understand that. If you can speak as eloquently as he can and express your point to, that, to, to, to the level that he can, I, I have no qualms with you whatsoever. But there are some people, as you said earlier, that are so detrimental to the product just because they don't like it, they'll go out of their way to make sure that other people don't like it, that any that anybody who does like it, that they call them an idiot. You know, in fact, it's going on in the timeline right now on Twitter. Two people who will remain nameless, one positive, one negative. The negative guy's telling them, you're an idiot because you think such and such and such. And the other guy's like, well, here's the proof. This happened, this happened, this happened. But, right. you, like, you, but you're obtuse if you believe... Like, but that own that that does nothing for the product of for anything, like like a, when I was uh, when I started writing, uh, a guy told me and God if he if he ever hears me speak I don't I don't even know if he likes me but I've never forgotten this and I use this in everything I write whether it's work whether it's columns whether it's just anything defame the argument I'm sorry defeat the argument don't defame the arguer right. Okay. And that is one of the coldest lines I've ever heard. So, but I, I you know, with, with this with this Brian Miss thing, very clearly, they're taking real life fears, opinions, feelings, and nobody in the business is better. Maybe Chumper now, but from a longevity standpoint. It's be- and, and I would argue Randy Orton, especially what he's doing now with Jeff Hardy. But it's better with holding the sh- heartstrings of the crowd and pulling them ever so slowly in ways that hurt the most. Just how he wants, when he wants. It, it, he's perfect at it. Yeah, he is. I, I would argue he's better than both Champa and Orton in the fact that he can get you cheering for him. Only to to just be like that motherfucker. Like with Champa, you don't cheer for him. That's <laughs> I mean, a real he, heel, though. Yeah, he's a real heel. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing with Orton right now, really. But the Miz is the kind of heel that like you want. You're like, ah, he makes so much sense. It's almost like, like, damn it. It's, it's I hate that he makes so much sense. So I'm kind of on his side, and then he just turns around and gives you a big old dump on the face basically. And I, but, I, but yeah, you're right. I mean, for what he does and the, and the role that he plays, he's, he's the factual heel. He's not delusional. Champa's delusional, right? Orton is just insane. Like he's, he's, um, he's like hardcore MAGA. Okay. The Miz, <laughs> the, the Miz is like, he's a bad, he's a bad guy, but he gives it to you real. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of the appeal. It depends on what kind of heel you like. But, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Before we get out of here, man, I just want to touch on one question, okay? I would be remiss, and I would not be doing my job, neither would you, as a journalist, broadcaster, whatever the hell you want to call us. Regular dude with the podcast talking into a mic on a computer. Um, we would be remiss, and we would be bad at our jobs if we didn't mention uh, – the Brock Lesnar story from Monday in Roman Reigns. Um, I think that was the most interesting Brock Lesnar has been in years. Yeah. Um, I think that it is a extreme, an extremely interesting wrinkle 
that Brock is so caught up in his own shit that he doesn't give a shit about even Heyman anymore. And th- and that's relevant, while some fans will argue it's not. It's relevant because, if you remember, it was just four years ago that he came back from a hiatus because Punk and Heyman had problems, and he came back to handle that for Paul. Right. So, from four, four years of sustained success, and now, you don't give a shit about him? We were never friends? Right. You know, you just work for me? Go get me a steak? <laughs> you know what I mean? Threw his, threw his cell phone at the wall? Let, let Was about to let him get his ass beat? You know, like, so... Uh, I think that's interesting, but I think the main takeaway from that entire segment, especially the in-ring segment, uh, was, wasn't was just that he told Paul that, you know, basically, like, fuck around and you're done. The crowd chanted, we want Roman. They did, yeah. Not we and, want Strowman. No, it was Roman. And yeah. if you don't believe us, go back and listen. And no, they did not pipe that in. No, the people recording who were in the in recording the footage who were in the crowd did not modulate the audio. <laughs> like this, this isn't some Watergate conspiracy. This is just regular right. stuff. Um, do you think it's working? Uh, I think recent evidence, as in three days ago, would say it is. Uh, let me just, I want to touch a little bit on the Brock Lesnar thing. You're right. It's the most interesting he's been in a while. And if you know me and you've listened to the show, you know that I've been very disinterested in the universal title. I've said as much. I've been vocal about it, but at the same time, I'm a man who gives credit when credit is due. And I got on the Twitter machine and mentioned that this is well done because I thought, that they really made me get invested, reinvested. Um, so I want to say that first of all. Uh, I want to say Brock is just a dastardly heel, and it's not why you think. It's because he eats his steak medium well. I was waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, that's how uh, I eat my steak, by the way, too. Yeah, you know, you're a heel, and All so thing you think I eat is. I'm sorry, never mind. No, 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 no. <laughs> that ain't it, as they say. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, um, do I think it's working? Just to a degree, yeah. I would be careful in saying that, hey, this is it. They got it figured out because there are some crowds out there that will actually cheer for Roman Reigns despite what people think. I, I've heard a lot of crowd, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, when I was at a Raw, they loved Roman. Um, San Diego, California, I've heard them cheer for Roman. I've heard a few crowds cheer for Roman. So I think we have to be a little careful. But what I will say is that I think it's 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 a two-part thing here. It's a one, we're sick of Brock. Two, we just kind of love Paul Heyman. Not necessarily me, but Not I think sure. but I think Paul has garnered the sympathy because of how much in a lot of ways he's carried Brock over the last few years in terms of Brock not having to use a microphone, in terms of Brock not being there and Paul having to be the guy that defends him and this, that, and the other. So I think there's a lot of – they've built sympathy for Heyman because not only that, but Heyman's helpless. Like, I mean, against Brock Lesnar, give me a break, you know? 
You you know one one little small thing that Paul does that I love. What's that? Whenever he goes to the ring and somebody's in the ring, he asks them, "May I?" Like I love that. Like he's so scared oh, of yeah. people that he asks, "Do yeah. you mind if I get in the ring? You're not gonna beat me up, right?" I love right. that one little. Yeah. I love that. So Paul is he's got some sympathy, even though we know he's he's a sleazy jerk. We still, at the end of the day, we love Paul Heyman, right? It's just something about Paul. And I think they've hit all the right notes last week because they said all the things we're thinking. Well, that is there. The, the yeah. story would be fire if Brock showed up every week. That's yeah. And Brock said maybe the most ironic line. And, of course, once again, it's like I said earlier, how WWE knows how we feel. Sometimes I don't watch I, the show. Yeah, I don't watch the show. Why would I watch the show? <laughs> but then the other thing he said was Stephanie doesn't care about the fans. I don't care about these fans either. Yeah, I mean like, they listen, they, bro. They 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 know they know what's going on, and I think I think it's important to to remember that. As far as Roman goes, like I said, Roman is the most polarizing name in wrestling. And I, and I say that, and if you don't believe me, you're insane because even those of you who hate him can't keep his name out of your mouth. Absolutely. So yes, he, absolutely he is true. the most polarizing name in wrestling. So when we, hear, when we hear we want Roman Chance, I think we need to be careful. Do I think it's working? A little bit. I think they're, in, they're going in the right direction. And I think – that they really – I don't know how much, how many more times Brock is going to appear from now to SummerSlam. But I think this would be – because SummerSlam is usually Brock's event. I mean, really, if you think about it, he's yeah. main event quite a few SummerSlams in the last few years. Let's Brock is – yeah. Uh, so I think if Brock appears maybe the next couple of weeks and we can kind of get something with this, then, yeah, I think, I think it could work. I, I don't – I'm not ready to say it's going to work. I think it would be a missed opportunity – for Brock not to show up at least one more time before SummerSlam. I'd like to see him, honestly, with the way it's been, I would like to see him show up for the run-up all the way up because we're, what, we're only three weeks away. But I know he's not. Oh, he must farm. I know. He's reading the backwoodsman as we speak. Or he's asleep. That that annoyed me. Like, he he read, like, three different magazines that night. Like, you can look at the cover and tell. Like, he did not sit down and sit there and read for the whole same magazine for three three hours. (laughs) Right, yeah. Well, no, they changed it. I'm saying yeah, he read like it was three different magazines. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know how fast Brock can read, so let's you know let's cut him a little. We don't side. we don't know that Brock can read. That's why he, right. that's why he has Paul. <laughs> We're not 100 um, sure. I, real real quick, do I do I think it's working? To answer the same question I asked, yes, but not for the reason that you think. I have never been the guy to believe in 100 percent in this idea. That it is Vince's quest, like like King Arthur looking for the sword for Excalibur to make <laughs> Roman Reigns a beloved babyface. I've never believed that. I believe that Vince would like for him to be baby face, baby face. But if he but if that's his, that was his goal, then he wouldn't put him in the situation he puts him in. Mm-hmm. You were sitting you were sitting right next to me in San Antonio at the Royal Rumble two years ago when number thirty, everybody was expecting Finn or Kenny Omega or Samoa Joe or anybody, and it was Roman Reigns. I looked at you and I told you, being one of the biggest Roman Reigns fans in the world, I looked at you and told you, I understand why they hate him now. Right. I do remember that, yeah. Yes. So there's no way you can tell me that that's the goal. The 100% unmitigated goal is to make 
Roman the most loved babyface in the company because they're not putting him in situations to make him that. But, I think they, I think WWE knows that they're far past being able yeah. to pull that off anyway. But I think they've known that for a while. Some people think that they're just they're just not getting there. But I think, which is which is why they did what they did at WrestleMania. I think. But I think th- it worked for this one reason. We've all been dreading seeing Roman and Brock wrestle again, right? Yeah. Now we have a reason to want to see them fight. Yeah, we do. That's the, that's the one thing we hadn't had since WrestleMania 31. We had not had a reason to see to see them to want to see them fight since they first got together. And I know they've they've been in a couple triple threats and they were in that fatal four way, which was awesome at SummerSlam. I believe it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. But one on one, this is the third time, fourth time wrestling. This is the first time that we have a real reason since the first time that man, I think this this might be something I want to see. Because Les because Lesnar is so horrible to everybody. Lesnar has attacked uh now he's attacked Kurt. He's about to turn on the one guy that stood by him. Mm-hmm. Somebody got stick up to somebody got stand up to this dude. Yeah. So that's why I think it's working in that regard. Well, I think we're gonna find out, you know, and that's why I do think we need to see Brock at least one more time. I don't I don't think we can just hold off because the heat generated from Monday, I don't think it's enough to carry all the way to SummerSlam if he doesn't show up at least one more time. But I think we're going to find out because remember where SummerSlam is. Brooklyn. You know, I think we're going to have to – I think that could be an issue for him. You know, trying to get if they're trying to get a desired reaction, which they may not be. Can't, so I, I I said it to you. We're in, 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 in a little uh, – small little group chat we have with me and you and a couple other people. But I said it in there, but should I say it on air? What are things going to happen or should I wait till the preview? You got to wait, man. We can't let you, can't spoil it yet. If I can't spoil my thoughts on SummerSlam and the women's evolution and all that stuff, you got to keep your thoughts to yourself too on that. Not to yourself, just not results. I never told you you couldn't, but okay. I will just say this for the people (laughs) listening. I believe I know how SummerSlam is going, at least how Roman and and Brock is going to end, and it's going to end with Roman being cheered. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, so, yeah, we got to get out of here. Uh, before we kind of end things, I, I, we've said it a million times, but shout out to the homie Chad Matthews, the doc. Uh, my man really looked out for us. We booked this interview a month ahead of time. Chad hit me up and said, no, this is a true story. Chad hit me up last month. In fact, last month, hell, probably in June, and said, hey, man, uh, you know, my book's coming out. Would you be interested in uh, reading it and reviewing it for me? Uh, you know, I'll send you a free copy. Hell, yeah, I would have bought it. So he, he did that, and he said, by the way, I want to come on your show. If, if you, you know, if you don't mind, we hadn't really got a chance to talk in a while. We booked it right then and there. And we tried to coincide. The reason it took so long, we tried to coincide it with uh, his book coming out. It came out yesterday. Perfect timing. So I wish all the success to my brother. I, I, I in fact, you know what we might do? Uh, we'll we'll pose it to people listening. We'll do a we'll do some type of uh, game or challenge or 
whatever, and the winner will get a a book from us. We'll buy it for you and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. Um, and I also want to since we already have next week's show booked, I want to tease that the big homie Rob Daniels, who is officially known as our first fan, uh, he's gonna be on next week because he has got the idea, the story of a lifetime. Something I've been telling you guys. Uh, yeah, that that's yeah. Go ahead, finish yeah. with you because the only reason you really love it is because you it's agree what I've been with saying. it. Well, it's yeah. what I've been saying for years. But no, it's not. That's not the only reason I love it. Another, but so the difference. He explains between, himself very well. Ex- extremely well. But the reason I wanted Rob on, and particularly not just for that, is because all of us who we have on all the time are in some form or fashion. Involved with wrestling, whether right columns for it for you know pretty pretty decently sized sites, or we do podcasts for decently sized uh, you know podcast networks, whatever it is, we all have have a voice and even if it's two or three people, because I don't I, I I don't believe I have a following, but you know some type of following, right? Right. It's always fun and interesting to just hear a guy who has no skin in the game, just a fan. Yeah, Rob is just a fan, and yeah. he's he's the homie. He's a, he's our little brother. He just, well, he's probably older than us, but just a fan. Not me, he's not. He might be older than you. Yeah, he holds sure. But <laughs> so I think that's interesting to get his ideas. So that's next week. Look out for that. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Carl. Uh, anything you want to say? No, man. I'm I'm glad we've been able to do this. With shout out to Chad again. Um, Buy the book. It's worth your time if you're if you're a wrestling fan. I haven't even read it yet, and I know it's worth the time because I know how Chad writes and his skill level, um, and how much he cares about wrestling. Even if we don't always agree on things, you know, I, at the very least, I know that he truly loves what he's writing about. As he said before, it's a it was a passion project for him, so that should tell you everything you need to know. Um, no, not he's really. A, hold on, uh, real quick. He is a yeah. medical doctor, an internist. Yeah. With a wife and two kids. Yeah. And he's found time to write two books in 10 years. Yeah. The, he's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm once again, you know, glad you guys turned, tune in to watch us and listen, watch us, listen to us, <laughs> listen to us. But yeah, man, I don't really have much left to say. I think we covered it all. I think we had a really good discussion with Chad. I think we went over the main points of Raw and SmackDown. And, you know, what I would like to do sometime okay. in the future. Yes, sir. Um, and we could do it next week and maybe the week after. I would like to maybe try and do something we did when we had Caleb on the show, but now that it's two of us, we can kind of maybe dead carve out a few extra minutes for it when it's just you and me, no guests. But mm-hmm. is do some questions again. Like have some people send us some questions and ask us some things you've been wanting to know about our perspectives. Not necessarily like who's your favorite wrestler and why, but like some actual like What's your opinion on the direction of this, that, and the other? Some like real, and we won't pick them all because maybe that might not be but like, there were some really good like questions we could maybe answer on air. That might be fun. I, I enjoyed doing that when we did it. We haven't done it in a while, but we're always looking for kind of new things to kind of do towards the end of our show. So I think maybe that might be something kind of fun. So if anybody's interested in that, you can hit us up. Uh, when is SummerSlam? SummerSlam is the 24th. Okay, or 26, so, 26th, I'm sorry, 26th. Beautiful. So next week we have Rob. The next week will be the mailbag episode. Perfect. Okay, we could do that. We could do that. Yeah. We'll do so, it. Uh, got it set up. And then the week before before that, SummerSlam preview. 
Absolutely. Rick there you go. Yeah. Um, look out for that. Uh, and we also got some other big things coming in store. Uh, if you like that panel show we had last 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 week, uh, you might enjoy what we have in the works. So yeah, we, we we're really uh trying to give you guys some stuff. Carl actually wants to you know show up to work now, so it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> tell them where you tell them where they can find you, brother. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Outsider Curvin K E R V I N. Uh, that's pretty much my social media presence. Um, other than that, you can very soon find me at the chair shot where I will be, uh, giving my debut column very soon. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it's going to be great. I think you're going to love it. And, uh, that's about it for me. What about you? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at it's Ray cash R E Y as in Mysterio C A S H as in dollars. I also do write for the chair shot. Uh, I need to write a column. I'm way overdue. Um, do something, yeah. man. I've been writing my ass off. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> of course you have. Uh, <laughs> homework. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, shout out to Social Suplex. Follow the uh, the the website. Definitely check out the website socialsuplex.com. But follow uh, Social Suplex at Social Suplex and the podcast network. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Addict, everywhere. We everywhere. Uh, as DJ Khaled would say, we global. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the other shows, uh, One Nation Radio. Uh, James apparently is back from hiatus, so welcome back, James. Um, and shout out to Ricky and Clive, the big homies. Uh, the 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 our, our other family members of our little famous five, if you will. Uh, shout out to grown men watch this shit. Uh, at grown men pod. Uh, Ricky and Clive is at Ricky and Clive. One Nation Radio is at One Nation Radio, and the uh New Japan show, which is really working overtime with the G1 going on right now, keeping a strong style at Ki Strong Style. We got a lot of content for you. Uh, we're really trying to give you the best that we can give you. Uh, grown men. Uh, watch this shit. Have actual interviews with like really really good people uh they interviewed pco the a couple of episodes ago keeping a strong style is killing it one as your radio is killing it ricky and clive's always killing it because i'm basically on damn near every week but you know we're doing our thing <laughs> support show love rate give us that six seven eight star whatever you want to give us no tokyo dome uh but yeah if you got anything else man no, I think it's time to close them out. You know how. Well, like we like to do at this point in time, we also we want we want to continue to remind you that first and foremost, thank you for listening. But if you did not like anything that you heard this episode of The Outsider's Edge, that number one, it's not our fault. Mm-mm. Number two, you have to respect us because yes. at least we gave our all. We are following our dreams. Have a good night.